Right, firstly, can I welcome members of the public here this evening, as well as those who are listening on the broadcast, and can I remind all members please to switch on their microphone and switch it off when they have finished. And for benefit of those listening, if we, when we take a vote, I'll state whether it's unanimous or if close the numbers for and against. Um, members would also note in front of you there's a document pack which contains information which has been published online in supplementary packs as well as a correction to the budget report which is noted in the minutes. Um, pages 1 and 2 are the report from the portfolio for housing, holder for housing. Pages 3 to 10 are appendix 1 to item 13. Budget proposals 2019-20. And page 11 contains the correction to the budget report an amendment proposed to the budget report and the amendment proposed to item 19 which is the motion received from Councillor Light. So moving on we have three registered speakers tonight um, Daniel Brett, Martin Everett and Trina Mower. So could I invite Mr Brett to come forward? Thank you. You each have three minutes. Um, as a resident of Stansted, I welcome the cancellation of the hugely expensive running track near Saffron Walden and support Councillor Geoffrey Sell's motion to um, a, a new reserve for community infrastructure, including uh, um, sports provision. Um, Stansted Football Club is set to win the Essex Senior League, but unless it finds the money to upgrade its pitch and facilities which it shares with the cricket club it will not be promoted it was not promoted in 2010 for the same reason and it's unfair that vast resources are allocated to Saffron Walden while Stansted sports facilities are underfunded and another example of concentration of resources is the UDC investment strategy due to Tory cuts the council is investing tens of millions in an investment programme to tap new revenue streams. The programme lacks a coherent strategy, ignores emerging risks, has no professional asset management oversight and is focused on one asset in one niche sector and in one ward in the far north of the district. Due diligence at the beginning of a contract is not enough. A constant examination of risk and hedging against that risk with a balanced portfolio across several asset classes is essential. Over £50 million has been spent on Chesterford Research Park for a net return of 3.5%, less than a 4-7% target and less than 1% in real terms. A further £20 million is demanded over the next three years, even though the speculative £7 million pound refit of Newham building has yet to attract tenants according to the latest information. And the council plans £30 million for funding of the expansion in the long term. Over £100 million in one single project representing two-thirds of planned total assets under management. Essex County Council has an average yield of 5.5% in its portfolio grossing over £2 million on its 15 investments, including a private equity investment in a venture capital firm investing in medtech startups. Chelmsford has a portfolio of 37 assets with a value of £82 million and a yield of 6.1%. 
Investments are both strategic and income generating, but no council has a portfolio in which a single asset makes up more than 50% of total assets under management. Nearly 40% of Aspire's income comes from just two tenants. Our public services depend on them remaining as tenants in the long term. Tenants such as AstraZeneca and Aracor are on record over the risks they face from Brexit, regulatory uncertainty, an end to freedom of movement and doubts over the future funding re uh, research funding. If we crash out of the EU in four weeks' time with no deal, they may not renew their tenancies in coming years. There is also a danger of oversupply in research park accommodation in this part of the region, which threatens to drive down rental income. In nearby Hinkston, companies are likely to cluster around an expanded welcome genome campus. And unlike Hinkston, the park remains outside the proposed Oxford-Cambridge technology arc, with Uttlesford excluded from potential infrastructural benefits. With the council set to be Could more I reliant on business rate retention, yeah, a couple of lines. With the council set to be more reliant on business rate retention, it is crucial that the investment strategy is not linked to the local economy, or we will find strong pro-cyclical revenue flows with a potential for deficits during recession. As such, UDC should be identifying assets that are not so exposed to the trends that affect business rates. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Brett. Could I invite Mr. Everett, please, who I believe is going to speak about library services? <coughs> I'm not going to say anything about the way that library budgets have been cut by more than one third in recent years or about cuts in opening hours, or cuts in staffing, or cuts in the book budget, or the hollowing out of library services, or how the impact of the cuts has already resulted in a dramatic drop in the use of libraries across Essex. Nor will I try to appeal to your emotions by describing children's activities in the libraries, or lonely men and women doing jigsaws. Instead, I want to mention how one day last week more than 70 A-level students and four teachers crammed into Saffron Walden Library to find out about the history of their town and the history of the shops and shopping and how the commercial centre of the town has changed over the years. These students demonstrated the potential that libraries have to develop community cohesion, educate in citizenship and local prosperity. Libraries contribute footfall to town centres and generate activity in smaller communities. A recent survey revealed that, that every £1 spent on libraries generates £7 in social value, reducing unemployment, crime, antisocial behaviour and illness, as well as promoting healthier communities. This is why the government recently announced a scheme to place libraries at the heart of the regeneration of the high street. The County Council's plan to close 44 libraries and reduce hours and staffing at the remainder will deprive one third of existing users of Essex libraries of their local libraries, including Stansted and Thaxted. 
with the potential loss of a further one and a quarter million loans annually. But there is still, in fact, a crying need for libraries. Over five million people in England lack basic literacy skills, and 18.5 million people have poor or low numeracy skills, handicaps that in turn lead to low pay, poverty and ill health, at a cost to the public purse of some £2.4 billion a year. But things don't have to be this way. Essex County Council has a legal obligation to provide an efficient and comprehensive library service. And libraries are ideally placed to make profound improvements in people's lives. Councillors should be supporting libraries and fighting the closures with every fibre of their being. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Brett. And could I invite Ms Mower? I wasn't going to stand up because I thought I'd sort of lean over too much. <clears throat> My name's Trina Moore, um, and I'm a resident of Thaxted. My career was spent teaching English, so of course I like books. And later on in my career, I became a head. And I'm probably one of the few people here who has actually set up a library in my time in a brand new school. And I have to say, it's one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. It's not a job for amateurs. And I think the implication that somehow libraries can be given over to jolly volunteers and um, retired people like me uh, is, is quite dangerous. Um, a library without a librarian is not a library, it is just a room full of books. Um, if the library in Thaxted is axed, Howard Rolfe very kindly has promised that UDC will pay the rent on the library. It's only £7,000 um, and he will do something about the books. That is not possibly... No, that is not what we want at all under any circumstances. Thank you very much, but no thanks. We must have a proper library in Thaxted. Thaxted deserves one. It's a very important medieval and historic town with a history just like Saffron Warden. <clears throat> so if you're going to talk about volunteer libraries and community libraries, it must be very clearly defined as to what you mean by that. Um, not a group of jolly volunteers, but with a librarian and with um, some contact through the librarian with the main county library um, of Essex, because that's what makes it a real library. That's what gives it all the services that makes it a real library and not just a bookshop. And um, that's one of the things that's been considered I know in other places in Essex, I hope in fact it will keep proper librarians. The, the government paper behind all this change is um, called The Ambition for Libraries, uh, for Public Libraries, 2016 to 2021, and it comes from the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. And it says in that, in that document, which is well worth a read if you're, in, you're interested in libraries and you care about libraries, even if you just read the executive summary. It says, skilled and knowledgeable staff are vital 
in providing an excellent library service. We can't just cut them. If you opened dental surgery for your constituents, would you say, oh, we don't need dentists, but some volunteer can come along and pull your teeth out? There's not much time to make many points about this um, proposed uh, library scheme of Essex. So uh, that's my first point. I want to make three points if I can. Um, much is wrong with it. The procedure um, in, a, in assessing the need for libraries was flawed. There's been a lack of consultation with the public. The survey document is dreadfully loaded. And there's been a total lack of assessment of the outcome of, of, as a result of library closures. All these, I'm sure that Councillor Light will um, touch, touch on later on. But this document, the ambition document, as I call it, says that whatever you do with libraries, it should result in seven outcomes. And we have to remember that for these outcomes to come out, you have to have a library. Otherwise, you won't get any outcomes at all. And they're very important. There's cultural and, crea cultural and creative enrichment. There's no mention, mention of this by Essex, because they don't believe in culture. Two, um, the outcome should be increased reading and literacy, which the previous speaker mentioned. Three, there should be improved digital access and literacy. The irony here is that in Thaxted, which is a good example, the only free access to Wi-Fi is in the library, and it's in use constantly by people who don't have computers or can't use computers and need help. Number four... Well, could I ask you to start winding up, please? I'm sorry? Could I ask you to start winding up, please? Yes, okay. So four is helping everyone achieve their potential, five, healthier and happy lives, six, greater prosperity, and seven, stronger, more resilient communities. Um, and Thaxted Library is already a hub. There is funding for hubs. There is funding for e-libraries, but that doesn't mean that e-libraries, which don't yet exist, can take the place of real libraries. And I'm sorry I've gone over time. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Um, right, we'll move on to apologies for absence. I have apologies from Councillor Mills and Councillor Goddard. Is there anybody else? Councillor Artis. Councillor Harris. Councillor Harris. Councillor Harris. Um, okay. And Councillor Asker. Okay, thank you. Saffron Town Council. Um, I'm married to Councillor Barker, and she is the cabinet portfolio holder for libraries at County Essex County Council. Um, Chairman, yes, in respect of setting the council tax and uh, the, anything to do with libraries. Okay, thank you very much. No other declarations of interest? Um, uh, Councillor Freeman just left the room, but he would declare declaration of interest. Richard? Thank you, Councillor Fairhurst. Um, could our legal officer clarify this declaration of interest of parish and town councillors? Thank you. Well,
Well, um, there's only a need to declare an interest if there's something relating to uh, a body of which you're a member on the agenda. In this case, uh, there is the precepting from Saffron Walden Town Council, so maybe appropriate. Thank you, Mr Pugh. Um, right, we'll move on then to the minutes of the meeting held on the 4th of December. Um, is it your wish that I sign them as a correct record? Uh, Councillor Ranger. Uh, two amendments, Chair, if I may, please. Um, the first one on minute C58, halfway down that uh, minute, um, is reference to what I said, um, which does not um, agree with my version of it, and unfortunately we haven't got a recording to listen to. Um, but it says, and I'll find my papers if bear with me. C58. It says on the fourth paragraph, I seconded the motion and said I was happy to do so. I would arrange meetings with the users of the libraries at Stanton and Thaxted. What I did say, to my recollection, is that I would be happy to attend any meetings that were requested by the parish councils. Um, I received no requests, so I have attended no meetings. And the second uh, correction is on C59 where we have an incorrect version of the resolution that was carried at Council. Um, the resolution does not reflect my statements during the discussion we had. Um, I can illustrate that by, in halfway through the uh, description of the meeting, I said I would agree to alter the motion by removal of the reference to reinstatement, and I read out the proposed motion as altered, which I would omit the words reinstate the council's failed monitoring equipment in order to. And those words are still contained within the resolution. So I would like that uh, resolution corrected, please, Chair. Thank you. Is everybody generally content with that? If everyone's happy with that, perhaps I can ask the officer to deal with that. Thank you. I So, moving on, my own announcements. I put them somewhere. Here we are. Um, right, since our last meeting, I've attended quite a number of events and had the pleasure of meeting very many varied and interesting people. Um, a number of carol services, obviously, my own included, and some notable highlights was the service at Chancel Cathedral, where a number of familiar artists performed relevant Christmas readings, poems and songs, and also a service in Colchester on behalf of the Colchester Garrison. And this was recorded by the BBC Essex Radio and broadcast on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. Not that I listened to either of them. Um, in January, among other events, I attended a production at the Harlow Playhouse. Um, this showcased a wide variety of talent from in and around Harlow. And it was actually a very enjoyable evening, and there were some simply inspiring artists and singers there, many of whom had very challenging physical, and diffi physical difficulties and learning disabilities. Um, also in January, I presented the Uttlesford District Council Staff Long Service Awards. That too was an enjoyable occasion and a considerable number of staff were recognised for giving 20, 30 and even <coughs> 40 years service. And I'm not sure if the member who's 40 years is here. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> Um, I attended a Queen's Award presentation to Kestrel Liner Agencies, 
who were very proud to be receiving this for the second time. And more recently, I've attended the Essex Wing Air Training Corps presentation evening, which showcased a large number of very inspiring young people from in and around our district who've achieved a lot, a, a lot in their young years. Uh, one cadet in particular stood out for me because at just 18, she had gained a scholarship in, at 17 and worked exceptionally hard and got her private pilot's licence. And on the evening, she spoke of how she hoped to go on to join the RAF, fly jets for the RAF, and eventually train to be an astronaut. So I've got her name. I shall be looking out to see how she gets on. Um, and finally, last week, I attended the opening of the London and Quadrant Independent Living Development in Saffron Walden. It will offer 73 self-contained apartments for rent which are designed for ease of living and offer a range of services and facilities which can be delivered to residents within the comfort of their own home. Uh, the first residents are looking to move in sometime around May this year and this is the first scheme of its kind in Uttlesford and it truly does demonstrate how partnership working with the provider, the county council and the district council can uh, fr frankly achieve excellent results. Um, and that's it. Uh, so we'll move on now to a report from the Leader of the Council. Thank you, Chairman. Um, so this is agenda item four. You have it uh, in your papers. Uh, it's not a summary uh, of everything I've done, but uh, just uh, the points I wanted to draw to your attention, and I'll now uh, shorten it even further just by highlighting uh, three or four of them. So the first one I'd like to highlight is the opening of Harlow College at Stansted. This was quite a number of us went along to that. Um, and it's a great facility, as you know. Um, uh, it's, a, it's run by Harlow College, uh, sited at uh, Stansted Airport, uh, focusing on engineering, particularly aviation engineering, but also the service industry. It's full, um, and there's a waiting list for future years. So already the conversation is about, so what next? Uh, is it an extension to the existing facility, or is it a new facility? But the demand outseeds the supply, which is absolutely fantastic, um, and we're getting some very good feedback from some of the uh, young people who are attending. The next thing I wanted was... Uh, uh, Item 8, the conference which was held at Chesterford Park uh, to discuss the role of digital in garden communities. But it's not actually about digital um, uh, in garden communities, it's about digital. Uh, and we had a presentation from a chap called Martin Garrett, um, who used to be involved with the Greater Cambridge Partnership, who now is the chief executive of Cleantech. And the technology that is emerging that can help us uh, drive a cleaner environment and indeed a more effective environment. And if we look at some of the technology that's gone into the um, extra care home that's just been referred to you, it's very exciting. It's not any more a, a bell round the neck of the individual. It's, 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 it's very sophisticated technology. So it's, it's, about the, it's about the individual, in some cases the patient, but it's about the individual as well. So this is really exciting and clearly going to be a big part of our future and we will uh, it, it follow it very closely. The next thing uh, I wanted to draw your attention to um, was, is uh, item 12, but, but I'm going to link that with 16 and 17. So 
I think I've referred before to the uh, London Stanford Cambridge uh, Consortium Group, who are particularly looking at the uh, M11 Innovation Corridor, uh, and there's a subset particularly looking at the middle bit, because we understand Cambridge, we understand London, but there's a very important part in the middle, of which we are uh, centric to that, but as is Harlow, uh, and all the very exciting things that are going on in Harlow, as is East, uh, East Hearts as well. Um, and that, 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 that's important, including looking at transport. But I want to take that on, because... Uh, uh, a cross-party session um, last Friday with uh, the leader and chief executive of Cambridge City Council, uh, the leader uh, of South Cams and her portfolio holder, the chief planner for the combined authority, um, looked at um, that, that's, that, that area that is, it, it goes from South Cams into North Essex or North Uttlesford uh, and to try to get some coherence around that and it was a very productive discussion uh, and uh, it will lead to um, uh, greater and uh, better solutions and then I followed that up with uh, a session with uh, the political advisor to the Secretary of State uh, for the Ministry um, exactly the same theme in terms of how are we going to make the connectivity between the Department of Transport and the Ministry uh, so that we can, uh, we can bring the infrastructure to that part of uh, our area and indeed further down and, and the A120, we covered that as well, uh, so it's, it's not exclusively about the North. Um, so two very important uh, sessions. Um, the next um, thing I want to draw your attention and I think we can put two items together here as well is item 13 and 15 and I want to draw your attention to this diagram because to me it really is becoming centric to some of the work that we're doing if you look at this diagram it's got living well at its centre and around that is start well, be well, stay well, age well and then die well uh, but the, the ring around that is, is, is basically around the health and social care facilities uh, and the, uh, the, the, their focus within uh, that, um, you, you know, the, the focus of that work. Then beyond that in the blue ring is around prevention. Um, we talked about uh, the ability to, 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 for primary school children to read and I'll come back to that when we talk about libraries but school readiness, health checks, public campaigns, you, 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 you can read it for yourself. And then beyond that um, what we're all very focused on which is the broader setting that we're, we're, we're creating which is around the quality of our housing, uh, the planning and environment uh, that we're setting that we're giving to our community, air quality. So um, I'm quite attached to this diagram and it's going to be a key part of the way forward uh, for the next administration. So the Essex Partners Board and indeed um, the, um, the Essex Health and Wellbeing Board are, are, are focusing on the connectivity because as you know, as I've, we've talked before and you're aware of your yourself, the Secretary of State for Health uh, has three key priorities, uh, one of which is priority, the second is digital and the third is, is people. Um, and um, that link around prevention is not something that the health service is going to do by itself. It's, it's going to do it in partnership with local government. And I've been want, waiting for this to happen for about 10 years, and I think we're on the verge of getting there. So it's very exciting. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for questions later in, on the agenda. So thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Wolf. Um, Councillor Ranger. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, members, you all have had my written report that there are three... Um, items I'd like to uh, make a verbal update, please, Chairman. The first is on the health and wellbeing subject. And 
just to say that the work on developing our sports strategy for inclusion in the local plan continues on programme and we expect to submit the final version of the uh, strategy to the planning inspector in April. The strategy will guide not only our detailed work with the promoters and developers of the new garden communities, but will also enable us to focus on where we can improve, adapt, extend and better utilise our existing facilities. I would advise members that in addition to the district-wide sports facility strategy currently undertaken by the KKP consultancy, the Council has recently formed a small steering group with local sports clubs in Saffron Walden to carry out a feasibility study for a modern high-quality multi-sports <coughs> campus located in or near to the town. The intention is to firstly identify a cost-effective site that will allow the Council to undertake examination of the currently <coughs> identified shortfalls in sports facilities in closer detail, with the objective of creating an improved provision for a much wider range of sports and recreational activities in and around Saffron Walden than is currently possible given the constraints of planning legislation. This work, which is in its early stages, is very much in keeping with current government strategy for coping with the pressures as the demand and requirements for sport and physical activity rises. It is also work that is beginning in parallel with clubs and organisations in the south of the district and I will be reporting further on this work in all of the forthcoming council meetings throughout the course of 2019 and beyond. I will not at this moment preempt the short discussion we will be having later on this evening regarding our Carver Barracks investment, save to say that Carver Barracks has a part to play not only in sports facilities provision for our district, but it is also part of our national pride. And the fact that this council is so closely engaged with the barracks reflects well on the There is another aspect of health and wellbeing that I want to draw to members' attention. Whatever your station is in life, there is possibly some time when you are not completely in control of day-to-day -day matters. My written report notes that the Council's commitment to addressing mental health issues, but there is another aspect of not being in control that I want to illustrate. I am not proud that Uthersford has a food bank. I am proud that Uthersford has a food bank, one that is delivered by a group of volunteers who are so professional, I think is the word I should use, in the work they do in helping those in need. There are a multitude of reasons why people may need to access a food bank and it is generally that they are subject to influences over which they have no control. We don't need to go over those here. Uh, our food bank has had a chequered history all of its own. In its early days it led a nomadic life, the old police houses and a succession of church halls all presenting challenges. But the stout hearts of the volunteers won the day led, as they still are today, by Reverend David Tomlinson. The food bank is now a registered chattery, cha charity, beg your pardon, and as the incumbent cabinet member for Cunis and Partnerships, I'm pleased to be a trustee. The nomadic life has now been put aside as the food bank has signed a lease on premises in Shire Hill where it services the whole district. The lease is £5,000 per annum, and although there are so <coughs> many people and organisations that help the food bank, to get where it is today, I would like to feel that the rent is securely funded. I would like the next administration to consider raising a motion at the annual meeting in May to the effect that the 39 elected members could contribute, say, just 1% of all allowances to provide the bulk of the rent. The food bank is a service that any family in any of our wards could need tomorrow. So please don't let it not be there. I now turn to the subject of public engagement. 
Earlier, members, we approved the minutes of the December Council meeting, which contained a revision to the October meeting minutes. For members that were not present in December, Councillor Hargreaves and I could not agree on what was minuted for the October meeting on one particular point, and so it was resolved that Mrs Dobson would listen to the recording and come back to us. I would like to thank Mrs Dobson, unfortunately she's not here tonight, on behalf of Councillor Hargreaves and myself for her additional work and advice, and I'm pleased to confirm that <coughs> Councillor Hargreaves and I were able to agree the substituted minute. Now I know, Chairman, that minutes are not verbatim reports, but it is important that as part of our engagement with our residents, we're able to present a version of a meeting that accords with the discussions and decisions taken so that anyone reading the minutes will be able to see the direction that matters flowed. Therefore, <coughs> anyone now reading the October 2018 minutes will be able to gain the impression that I gained it immediately that evening, which is that if Councillor Hargreaves' party ever came to be the administration of this council, they would seek to remove from our constitution the protection that prevents decisions being made in secret. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Ranger. Um, Councillor Riles. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through all the detail in this report. As you can see, it is as it is. Um, there are some one or two little nuggets which I think we should actually highlight is the success so far at the Saffron Warden Business Improvement District. Um, you can see the number of people who are visiting from uh, far and wide, uh, so that this is drawing more and more uh, customers into uh, Saffron Walden and supporting our businesses. Um, Superfast broadband, uh, GigaClears planning to roll out phase three, which will particularly affect our district, uh, unfortunately, a little bit later in July 2020. Um, and, but as I think around the district there are some areas which have had some disruption, but at least something is happening. And it shows that we are committed to um, a digital future. And on the digital future, I mean, as Councillor Rolf has already mentioned, um, we can see here that there's two uh, important things that we are bidding for at the moment. We want to be involved in the 5G uh, new technology coming out, so we've already submitted a bid for that. Um, and we're also we want to be involved in a full fibre network which connects all the GP surgeries. Um, I think this is um, impressive stuff from our economic development team and they should be commended. Further down, I mean car parking, very, very, uh, what's the word, uh, touchy subject. Um, we do know that the machines need to be replaced and they're out at the moment looking around to get some. Uh, there is a procurement process, so we will have some, hopefully, some 21st, technology, 20, well, 21st century technology operating around the district so we know how much money we're taking and how we can improve things for the visitors to our our towns. And then finally, um, one particular area, as you know, is Caton's Lane, Little Walden Road. Um, we are currently just at an update. We're waiting for some residents to come back to us. Um, they, they have been uh, asked to uh, get sufficient signatures to amend the existing <coughs> scheme. So it's not something that's been you know, kicked down the road. We are on top of it, and only last week uh, our uh, parking team were talking to the residents. Um, and the exciting thing, I suppose, at the end is the future um, of our high streets. Um, I shall be meeting next week with other officers to put together uh, our expression of interest in a bid for Saffron Walden to be the first of our towns to go for this fund. Um, that will be in 2019. Um, and then the second part with Dumbo 2020. You can only put one bid in per year. Um, but we do recognise the importance of this opportunity 
and we are doing our utmost to bring it home for Uttlesford District. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Riles. Um, Councillor Barker. Uh, Chairman, I do apologise. Um, I've been rather busy elsewhere, and so there isn't a written report from me, but I'd just like to bring up a few things. Um, members and listeners will be aware that the, the local plan was submitted in January. We've had some initial questions from the inspectors. We have two lady inspectors, and we have heard that the hearings will be in July. Uh, one of my roles here is to sit on the Police and Fire Commissioner's panel down at County Hall, and um, his plan is about to be launched next week, but that includes 215 additional policemen on the street. It was um, something about 180, 190 last year. Um, they're actual policemen, and then an additional 50 police staff. That will also include a dedicated team to Saffron Walden. Um, there are 68 dedicated town centres teams, and one of those is coming to Saffron Walden. Um, and I'm very pleased to say that... Uh, I think we had an exceptional Christmas, I know it's a while now, with our bin collections. Um, the guys had a week off, and the girls. Um, I was down meeting some of them the other day, and I think it was really good they have a week off to, to recover, and we all had to wait a bit long for our collections to be whatever, but Miss Bins are at an all-time low. Uh, we have increased our litter-picking teams. We've gained some new vehicles. Um, we also are... Well, we've just um, ordered new vehicles for our main collections, a big... 35 tonners, and we also have a, there was an exhibition last week in Dunmo, and there is a potential new site for a depot in Dunmo that they will put a planning application in for late March. Um, for those of you who don't know, the depot in Dunmo is right in the middle of the town. It's behind the old Uttlesford District Council offices. It's not the best place for our bin lorries to be going in and out of very, very narrow lane. They've been there for years and we very much look forward to trying to get them out. There's still a site in, in Canfield. As I say, an additional site has come forward in Dunmo, and we're hoping that the, one of those will be suitable in the long run to remove our depot. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, thank you, Councillor Barker. Uh, Councillor Redfern? Thank you, Chairman. Um, I hope that you've all seen my report. It was sent out... Um, via email this week, so I'm not going to um, go over everything, but there are a couple of extra um, items. Um, as you know, we have a, a team that works with the private sector housing, and um, I do believe I mentioned last year that um, there was new licensing for um, houses of multiple occupancy, um, and this service has now licensed 11 different HMOs, and there's still more pending, but I thought that was um, uh, interesting piece for you. That, so that's 11 properties since this um, started in October and bearing in mind that these sort of properties are the ones that house our sort of most vulnerable um, members of our society. So 11 of them have been done and more to follow. Um, also in my report I mentioned um, the moors at Little Dunmo and that we were hoping it would go to planning committee in March. It seems that, that um, we've missed the moment for March. It will now be going to the um, April planning committee. Um, and I also mentioned in the report about um, the right to buy um, properties. Um, so last year we sold nine properties under the right to buy and this year to date we have sold another eight with one more due to complete this week. Um, this rate of sale is um, what we've come to expect and is part of the uh, business plan. But I, I just wanted to, um, as you all well, I hope you know that when we um, sell a property under the right to buy, we um, are allowed to retain 
just 30% of the money we collect for that um, property and we are only allowed to keep that on the provi providing we replace it with a one-for-one -one property so we obviously have to find the other 70% and it has to be a new pro a, a brand new property it can't be one that we've um, where we've for example Reynolds Court where we knocked down some we already owned and redeveloped it they don't count as um, new properties unfortunately so they have to be uh, new ones so I just thought I'd um, one thing that I'd sort of omitted to put in the report and have had a discussion about, at the end of quarter three of 18-19, as a council, we hold £5 million in uh, right-to-buy receipts. Um, so we do have a planned programme of development in which we intend to use this £5 million, but I just wanted to give you an idea of what sort of money we're talking about. If we didn't have the development programme that we have, we would have to repay that £5 million, including... Um, about £400,000 in interest as well. So you can see that by the programme you've got here, we will be spending the uh, £5 million, fingers crossed, in the timescale that, um, that, that we have to, to meet our obligation, or to be able to um, hold that money. Um, so you'll, you'll see the different ones we're doing, and we've got other things in the, in the pipeline. I mean, obviously, we are helped with this by the fact that the... Um, debt cap has been raised as well because as you can imagine it's quite difficult for us as an um, authority to have the extra, the extra so we've got 30% we need the other 70% so that is one way we can, we can use the uh, lifting of the debt cap is to enable us to keep going with our development programme and we are working um, Councillor Dean and I are working on what types of, with, with, with other people, just not the two of us, but with a team, of what other types of housing we need to be looking to supply in the district through the three new garden or the potential three new garden communities. Um, so that work is, um, is ongoing. And I think that is it, but I will be happy to answer any questions anyone else may have on these particular items. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Redfern. And finally, Councillor Howell. Um, Madam Chairman, I won't speak. You'll hear enough from me this evening. <laughs> Thank you, Councillor Howell. Uh, right, well, I can invite members if they have questions. I know Councillor Dean and then Councillor Sell. Councillor Lodge and Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I have um, two questions for Councillor Riles and, and one for Councillor Redfern, if I may. Perhaps I'll just ask the ones for Councillor Riles. The reference was made to GigaClear and Superfast Broadband. It's come to my attention in recent weeks that the standard of workmanship, particularly, I have to say, Councillor Lightning's ward of Forest Hall Park, Stansted South, has been pretty poor. There's been a lot of vergers either side of Walsham Way, which is a through road on that estate, left in an appalling condition. Um, and it needs to be sorted. Uh, and so I, th I think this needs to, you know, as the council is investing in that, I think we need to be aware of it and a feedback concern. And I noticed this morning, I went, I happened to walk through the area this morning, and I noticed that where they've done put in a, a trench along pavements outside homes and then there's a, a little junction box meant to supply each home with 
direct connection, a direct uh, fibre connection. The lids, plastic lids of these junction boxes are not fastened down and in fact there was one on the pavement which was sitting up like this and cabling sticking out. So there is, I think, uh, an installation problem that needs to be looked at because we, you know, we shouldn't be, well, we do need to participate in this, but we, 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 we want proper standards of work done. And, and, and uh, something for Uttlesford and probably Councillor Barker, they were working today on Forest Hall Road in Stanshead, had cleared a lot of the verge uh, of undergrowth in order to be able to dig a trench, I assume, um, and exposed tons of litter. <laughs> so may I ask that somebody has a look at that and tidies it up, please, because I don't suppose we can expect the contractor to do that. Thank you, Alan. Uh, uh, Councillor Dean. Uh, the first point I should mention is it has been brought up in the past where uh, newly laid trench, where trenches have been dug and then they've been filled back in. It does take it, they, sometimes they leave a certain amount of time to let the soil settle um, and that can appear to be uh, very, very messy. But the, the, the plan is that they will come back and once the soil has settled sufficiently, then they will fill it, finish it off properly. But it has been mentioned before. Um, when I've been attending other uh, broadband meetings with GigaClear. Um, and as far as the second point about a particular pot with some cables coming out of it, if you wouldn't mind sending me an, an email, then I will take up these two points again um, with GigaClear. Pardon? Oh, wonderful, absolutely. Send the photographs and I will take it up with GigaClear for you. Okay? May I, my question for Councillor Redfern is um, reference was made by her to the, the £5 million pounds which is being held on capital receipts. Now later on this evening, uh, not capital receipts, well it is capital receipts, um, later on this evening when we get onto the budget we'll be looking at the fact that the council has got a, an intention to invest more significant amounts of money, over £100 million pounds in uh, commercial operations, but as things stand at the moment there is nothing in the capital programme for housing to take advantage of the lifting of the borrowing cap that the council has had until recently. And I, I'm aware that, um, that maybe the MTFS might be, will be re reviewed later in the year and that something will appear, but I'd just like a statement from Councillor Redfern that the council is not just going to be investing in commercial operations but will be investing to, as best it can by borrowing money where it can in council related housing let's call it council related housing because that's it's, it's a balance between turning ourselves into commercial investors and delivering the services that we're primarily here to deliver and I, I just want some assurance that that balance is going to be um, got more into balance, please. Um, I think there's a bit, of, I, I, I don't know if I'm confused or you're confused, but I might get Councillor Howell to jump up as well, but the, the two accounts are totally separate. The housing revenue account is different and so the uh, the investment strategy is part of the general fund and, and kind of what I consider to be the other side of the other side of the council. So I don't believe that any of our 
proposed investment strategy, we'll be looking at delivering any council houses, and I wouldn't particularly expect it to. But if you look at the housing revenue account, obviously we are looking at investment in, in council houses, and I suppose if you think about it, we borrowed £90 million pounds to um, invest in our own council housing already. Plus, I've um, said that we will be um, using the £5 million that we already hold. We have to borrow the other 70%. Of, of that, there is an ongoing. We have an ongoing plan to deliver as many um, council houses or council homes as as we can, and we will be looking at the debt, at, at what that means for us as far as the debt cap is concerned. But we've always been looking to do that, and I and I think what we have to bear in mind is that we live in a very expensive area, and just as any other. Um, housing developer, I suppose, we would have to start looking at buying um, commercial sites. And I don't think, at the moment, what we're doing is we look at anything that we own in the housing revenue account. We look at that and what, how can we use that better? Hence all the garage sites and um, uh, in your own um, Stansted, um, uh, Mead Courts, um, every, everything we've done has been something that we have had pretty much, I think, we've, we've owned ourselves. So I, don't, I think we're mixing the two things. You're talking about the council's investment strategy and how we deliver um, council homes. But obviously it is important to us. But if I, I, I've looked to Simon, but I would have said if we used our investment strategy or investment plans for housing, I'm not sure that council housing would deliver the return that we want when we're looking, you know, they're two different things. Just to be clear, I was not suggesting that uh, the general fund borrows money to make money out of housing. I was really suggesting that the capital programme for the housing, the housing capital programme has nothing much in it beyond, if you will, the run-of-the-mill that we are, we've been doing for the last few years. There's no big boost in there, is what well, I'm saying, um, at all comparable with the commercial investment on the, in the, the, the general fund? Well, I suppose it depends what you call run-of-the-mill, Councillor Dean, really, because um, I can't, personally I'm taking that a little bit to heart because I, I kind of think we've done a lot as a council and we're always looking at alternative ways to, um, to deliver council housing and I'm obviously working with you on this other group to, to do that. But the debt cap is only, is only the rise on... The lifting of that is only a recent thing, and we are still we are we are delivering more housing, and we'll continue to do it, and we will keep looking. But I don't, I, you know, as I say, we've already borrowed 90 something million, um, and if we're going to borrow some more, which I'm sure we will, I think it will be a planned borrowing, if that answers your question. Well, we, can, I, I mean, if you, if you feel concerned about this, maybe it's something we should discuss at Housing Board as well. Right, thank you. Uh, Councillor Sell. Thank you, Madam Chairman. My questions are to Councillor Rolf. Uh, one small point. It always amuses me that today, this evening, one of the most important meetings of this council, and yet we have to, the majority of us have to rely on iPads. Is it too much to ask that in future we actually get a paper copy? It's so much easier. And when we're considering so much public money, yes, we're trying to save a little bit and to spare the forest. But actually, I think in terms of good decision-making, it's helpful 
to have a hard copy in front of us, as used to be the case. That's my first point. My second point is, in my view, it's noticeable but regrettable that there is no mention in your report, Councillor Rolf, or come to that, Councillor Ranger's report, though he gave a verbal, a verbal comment on the libraries. Um, could you, Councillor Rolf, because I, I have... I know that you have been doing things. Could you enlighten the Council what you've been doing since our last meeting to defend and protect libraries here in Uttlesford? Uh, I certainly could, and the reason I didn't put it in the report is because it's an item later on on the agenda, so I didn't want to repeat myself. So first of all, hard copy. Uh, hard copy is a bit like Brexit. Uh, there are those who are very happy with their machines and believe that hard copy is uh, damaging the environment because we're using paper that we don't have to use, and there are those like yourself who uh, would prefer to use a paper copy. I will refer it back to the Chief Executive. This Council uh, is, on a path, uh, is on a paperless path because we consider that to be the right environmental 21st century strategy. I've heard what you said. Okay? As far as your second point, uh, uh, as I said, I will be covering this later, but as you well know, I have, um, I have, been, I have been to Stansted, uh, I, have re- uh, I have looked at the new facility, I've talked it through with the Parish Council, um, and this, I, I won't be covering this later, but we have very productive discussions about the best use of the, their new facility, uh, about the day centre, uh, and about the possibility of demolishing Crafton Greenhouse. And if we could demolish Crafton Greenhouse, we could then extend the car park, which I think would be to everybody's satisfaction. So there's some... I, I'm struggling to talk, because you... Um, so I think that would be to everybody's advantage. Uh, I think I'll re- reserve my comments for the library to, the, to, to, to later on. But uh, I've, uh, I've been to Thaxted. Uh, I've been to uh, a parish council meeting there. We have a meeting lined up uh, with uh, Thaxted Parish Council. I've been in regular communication uh, with the chairman and the, uh, and the clerk. So uh, the dialogue carry, very much carries on. Councillor Ranger, obviously living in Dunmo, has dealt with Dunmo. So, and John Moran is dealing with Saffron Walden. So we are very engaged in this, but more of that later. Thank you. Could I just ask you to be, or members, to be succinct with their questions because we are using up quite a lot of time here. So um, moving on, Councillor Lodge. Madam Chairman, I will be succinct. Councillor Ranger ended his report with a, with a rather bizarre and convoluted uh, party political attack. Uh, I wonder if he could explain a little bit more, co- more coherently what he was exactly saying. My pleasure, Councillor Lodge. My pleasure. Um, Councillor Hargreaves is now on record as having said that for now, a recorded vote trumps a secret ballot. And that is what is the essence of what I said. Thank you. Councillor Gerard. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, I have a question for the leader, please. Um, it's a question that I've been asked to ask specifically on behalf of one of our residents in Newport. Um, On the 19th of October last, uh, a delegated report from planning case officer comprehensively and unequivocally recommended refusal of an application uh, in Newport, UGT 18-1027. 
Um, the following day, a decision notice was issued granting approval. After a barrage of emails from, uh, I shall call him David from Newport, um, querying how this could happen, the leader of the council issued a press release on the 29th of November um, saying, acting promptly to correct an error, Councillor Rolfe is applying to the High Court to have the planning decision put aside. Um, yesterday, the 20th of February, uh, four months after the original error, and in response to an email query once again, uh, my constituent, uh, David from Newport, was told that an application has now been made. Um, this seems disappointingly slow progress. So I have a, a two-part question, please. Uh, firstly, uh, where precisely are we in the process and what prudent steps have actually been completed and please could we have an indicative timescale, that's the first part. The second part is, given the expense and the workload associated with high court applications, uh, what lessons have been learned uh, from the error to ensure that such a mistake doesn't happen again? Yeah, I will refer to Mr Pugh for, for the progress. Um, oh, that we lived in your world, Councillor Gerard. Nobody ever makes mistakes. The world is perfect. Um, so, uh, Madam uh, Chairman, excuse me, I didn't say that. We all well, do you make mistakes. It. You implied it. Um, if you had read out what I sent back to your constituent, you will, would have said, I have made the application to the High Court for the decision notice to be set aside. The next step is for the High Court to list the application for a hearing, and we are waiting to hear from the Court with a date. The developer has not yet indicated whether or not it intends to oppose the application. If you have done any legal dealings, and I understand you hand you have, then you will appreciate that the law takes time. As far as I'm aware, but Mr Pugh will um, confirm this, uh, there has been no tardiness on behalf of this council. Uh, the developer uh, has not indicated whether they intend to oppose the application or not, and as a consequence, we have proceeded to make the application. Mr Pugh. Well, not very much to add. Uh, the, I mean, Councillor Rolfe is uh, the applicant in, in the High Court action, and Councillor Rolfe has solicitors acting to pursue that. The application was made very promptly. Um, I think the hope was that the, um, other part, the other interested party, the developers, would recognise that an error had been made and would consent to judgment, which would have speeded things up. Um, but uh, they have not responded at all. So um, the, uh, um, we have to go the long way through the courts, which is uh, waiting for a hearing to be listed, and that's where we are at the moment. Uh, I spoke to, or I communicated with um, the, 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 the lawyers who were making the application uh, and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the chap I spoke to was optimistic that the courts were speeding up planning related applications but speeding up would still be in, in the first part of this year, possibly June, July. Um, which is an improvement apparently in the court's speed in hearing these things. Unfortunately, it does take a long time, but there's been, I can assure you there's been no delay on the part of the council or, or, or in making the application. Thank you very much, Mr Pugh. Just very quickly um, to the leaders. I think you may have misunderstood me. I am simply trying to represent one of my residents who specifically asked me to come here this evening and ask the question that 
he feels hasn't been promptly answered. So certainly there's been no accusation that nobody makes any mistakes, but um, bearing in mind that we do have the planning process for our larger applications going through scrutiny, this seems quite a relevant point to make. So I'd just like to make that point. Thank you. No, I understand. I accept that. Uh, but it was a pretty bold decision for the leader of a council to take an action against its own council. We did that because we felt it was the right thing to do, and we're putting every effort behind it. Right, thank you. Well, um, we are out of time, but I will allow the last three speakers, so if they could be quite brief. So, Councillor Lemon. Thank you, Chair. A question for Councillor Riles. Um, I note we're replacing our ticket machines in the car parks. Is there also, will we also be installing electric car charging facilities in our car parks in the near future? Thank you, Councillor Lemon. Um, that's something I think we might have touched on before, so where my memory reminds me. Um, we are looking at, uh, you know, getting better machines, but as I understand it from the research I've done, um, the uh, car park electric charging, uh, there's so many different varieties of plugs, etc. Um, I'm not sure that, that uh, there is one size that fits all, if you, if you know what I mean. That's why I don't think electric cars have grown and got, become as popular as they possibly could do, because there's no uniform, uniformity across the country, and likewise there's not sufficient char uh, car charging spaces. That obviously helps your point, but we are looking at it, and I think uh, I will take that back up with the uh, car parking team. Okay. Thank you. Councillor Lees. I'll be very quick. I just want to respond to the paper copy question earlier. I'm a big fan of no paper, absolutely, and I think that if you feel you need to look at something more, that you should print your own, your own little bit out. Nobody needs to print this whole thing out in their own house. So I'm a big fan of no paper, and I would like to continue that, frankly. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Knight. How opportune to give a balanced view. I'm supporting Councillor Sell's argument. As you will note, I do not have a laptop in front of me because by the time it takes, if somebody suddenly says refer to page 70, the time you found it, you've missed half of what's said. And in a meeting of this importance, I think it is very right to have paper copies because it's the only way you can keep up with everything and refer back quickly. Otherwise, you're losing half the thing. And Councillor Rolfe's desire for a paperless office, it'll be like trying to get a cohesive council all working together without point scoring. It's not going to happen. Thank you. Um, so, moving on, I beg your point. Council, sorry, Councillor Jones, did you want to speak? Oh, I beg your pardon. Just very quickly then, please. Uh, yes, thank you, Chairman. And apologies for my croakiness this evening. Um, I, too, wanted to support what Councillor Sell said about the paper copies versus the um, computer side of things. We do not, as a public body, take enough account of those out there who may want to follow our proceedings even within the chamber, and they would rather see some of the council stuff on paper. So, just extending that for two seconds more, 
no doubt in the next cycle of council we'll have another round of somebody looking to decide what to give us to replace these and certainly to give any new councillors um, for the first time. Uh, we got stuck with these last time. Nobody's been happy adopting them. If you look around the room, there's quite a few councillors without them who must therefore be relying on paper. I would suggest that the whole thing be properly visited by, at some stage, a council debate on the issue. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Jones. Just very quickly, Councillor Lockland. Right. Well, I don't know. Some people may know that this got hacked. And I had a, a very nice blackmail attempt asking me for nearly $1,000. Uh, so it's been with IT. They had my uh, password. Uh, I've got it back today, and it's not working properly. I can't get in. So I'm having to borrow a co uh, copy here from... Councillor Foley. So I too think paper copies are better. And with this, should have gone to Specsavers, can't see. Thank you, Councillor Lockham. Well, I'm sure the executive have noted and the chief executive noticed, noted all those comments. Um, so moving on, um, the where are we? I beg your pardon. The um, report from I've lost my place. Eleven. Referred. There, yes, are there are none, exactly, I'm sorry. Um, matters referred, there are none, and matters reserved about joint, received about joint arrangements and external organisations, there are none. Um, so just before we move on to item 13, could I ask you to note that Councillor Dean has asked for a correction to the report to be issued, um, both the correction and uh, Appendix 1, the Council Tax Resolution, a part of the document the members received when they arrived. Um, on that note, could I ask Councillor Howell to give his report? Thank you, Madam Chairman, Councillors. Uh, well, the Budget Council meeting is always a bit of a marathon, um, so I hope you'll forgive me and we'll all sit back comfortably. Um, I'd like to start off by thanking Mr Webb, Mrs Knight and members of the Finance team for their hard work on preparing the Budget this year. It takes a number of months. Uh, it builds up, culminating tonight, goes through numerous revisions, um, and we have revised the format of the presentation or the uh, budget report this year in a, in a bid to make it less cumbersome than previously. So there's a single block of 19 resolutions set out on pages 39 to 41, with 10 supporting appendices, uh, A to J, and a total of, as I say, 19 resolutions for us, and I'll deal with those separately. Um, I understand from Councillor Lodge and Councillor Dean that presentations have been made to all three respective groups. Uh, as always, officers are available to meet with individual councillors to discuss any issues of concern. So I'm going to take most of the contents of read, if you don't mind. Um, many of you will have heard this now through various meetings, either once, twice, three times. I've, in fact, printed off this report three times uh, because of the changes in page numbering. Um, members will be aware that there's a public consultation process that takes place during the summer, uh, setting out the, both the public's and businesses' priorities for the Council. Uh, the results have been reported to Council, and those reports have been carefully considered, and we've sought to align the budget to, to the extent that we can uh, with the results of those consultations. There was a presentation to scrutiny on the 31st of January, and we had a useful and informative discussion, 
and uh, Councillor Dean has asked me to correct an error on page 37, paragraph 5 of the report. Uh, there was no vote at scrutiny and scrutiny did not endorse the budget. I'm very happy to clarify that point. Uh, the budget was presented to Cabinet on the 12th of February. Um, I think inevitably when you prepare a, a budget, you're reflecting to a certain extent the journey that's been taken to date, um, as well as the, the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. And I think it's worth taking a moment to reflect on, on where we've come together over the last four years as a council. There's no doubt we've navigated a very significant challenge in the period from 2015-16 through to 18-19, with a one-third reduction in government funding. I think through that time we've been able to demonstrate that we've protected services, uh, that we have in fact continued to invest in additional priority services. We've undertaken a significant programme of capital investment, not least the replacement of the vehicles, vehicle fleet. We've undertaken some important strategic investments, including £500,000 in broadband. We've built up a sinking fund uh, of £4.5 million towards the relocation of our Dunmo depot and two other sites to a single new site, and Councillor Barker referred to that in her report. We've funded the local plan, and goodness me, that's cost us something. And we've also have put in place the local council tax support scheme um, for Uttlesford, which is by far the most generous of any scheme in Uttlesford. So there's lots to... In Essex, I beg your pardon, in Essex. So there's lots, I think, that we can look to over these last four years. We've done this um, through a combination of efficiencies, but also by identifying an additional source of income to replace the loss of funding from government. So let's deal, first of all, with the headline figure that we normally spend most of this meeting debating, which is the increase in council tax. We are proposing a 2.99% increase in council tax so for a band D property, in 2018-19, that represented £147.21. As a result of the 2.99% increase, it will increase by £4.40 to £151.61 in 2019-20. That's an increase of 10p per week, 37p per month. I do need to point out that over the last 10 years, uh, our council tax has actually only increased by 2.8% in total. In 2010-11, it was £147.42p, so this increase will take it up by 2.8% in 10 years to £151.61p, and Uttlesford continues to have the lowest council tax of any district council in Essex. That, I think, is an achievement. Appendix I... And that's set out in a supplementary paper which was circulated separately and has most peculiar page numbers of three to nine. Um, deals with the precepts proposed by the other precepting authorities. Essex County Council is proposing a precept increase of 3.99%. The Fire and Rescue Authority by, up by 2.94%. The Police and Fire and Crime Commissioner by 14.15% and you have details of parish and town councils which are on average increasing their precept by 5.02%. We used to say that Uttlesford represented roughly 10% of your council tax bill. It's now more like 8.5% of the total council tax bill. There's a detailed breakdown of the general fund budget by service areas 
set out in our appendices H1 and H2 on pages 153 to 157, and the key budget movements and areas of growth are set out in appendix H3 on page 159. In total, we are proposing a growth in service, service growth in the budget, of over a million pounds, as set out on page 149. I'll deal with some highlights of the budget. Grants to the voluntary sector exceed £500,000, £525,000. The members, the new homes bonus is unchanged. If you refer to the fees and charges schedule, parking charges are unchanged. We've reduced the cost of the garden waste collection for those who pay by direct debit or online. Museum fees are unchanged, day centres unchanged, lifeline unchanged, allotments unchanged. In addition, the budget for 2019-20 forecasts a surplus of £2.2 million, and I'll refer you specifically to page 147, paragraph 16, for details of, of that. In light of the medium-term financial strategy projections, which I'll deal with shortly, I am proposing that we allocate this surplus to reserves. £1,059,000 to a funding reserve, £941,000 to a business rates reserve are the two primary items. There's details in the budget report of our capital strategy for 2019-20, set out in Appendix E on pages 105 to 116. We've got planned capital expenditure of £17 million spread over both the general fund and the housing revenue account. We have an ongoing programme of vehicle replacement, uh, building maintenance and ICT development, uh, but vehicle uh, funding in particular is one of the key items, £822,000 of investment this year, £880,000 in 2020-2021, £727,000 in 2022-23, in total £2.5 million over the life of the next five years. Um, it's important that we continue to invest in one of the key assets of this organisation, uh, and the first new vehicles, as Councillor Barker has referred to, has, are arriving shortly, and that will ensure that the programme is fully invested for the next decade at least, or the next decade. The budget also includes £250,000 of disability facilities grants. Dealing with the housing revenue investment, there's a five-year programme of investment set out in Appendix F2 on page 124 of the report. In 2019-20, we will continue our annual maintenance programme on our housing stock. There will be a total investment of £3,445,000, £17,250,000 over the next, year, its next five years on annual maintenance. The housing revenue account business plan includes £12.65 million of new build over the next five years, plus an additional £2.4 million spent on the Moors development, which Councillor Redfern has referred to earlier. We continue to invest in our sheltered redevelopment, and in the year there will be an investment of £1 million in Walden Place. The housing revenue account, which is set out on pages 127 to 144, sets out our five-year strategy, and this was reviewed by the Housing Board and the Tenants Forum and recommended to Council for approval. Uh, as Councillor Redfern has mentioned, one of the key issues facing the Council 
and has been flagged and debated and we do need to make a decision on relates to the removal of the debt cap. Uttlesford, as we all know, is one of only a small number of councils that continues to own and build its own council houses. We've been able to build 100 council houses despite the current borrowing cap. So, as set out in the budget, officers will be looking at new financing rules and options for additional borrowing to support the council's development of new homes and investments in our current stock. However, the budget makes it clear that any decision to increase the HRA borrowing is, is not just dependent on the single issue of whether it's permitted, but also whether it's affordable. Um, and I think we do need to bear that in mind when we consider this subject. The reserve strategy for 2019-20 is set out in Appendix A on pages 49 to 63. We've managed our reserves to ensure that we are prepared for unseen circumstances and events, what Donald Rumsfeld refers to as the known unknowns, and to smooth the spending requirements over time. I know it's been a source of contention in the past, but I believe that all reserves are earmarked for specific purposes, and events have proved that the reserve strategy, which I would characterise as hoping for the best, but being prepared for the worst, has been the correct one for this Council to adopt. So in light of the medium-term financial strategy, as I've referred to, we are proposing the allocation of a surplus in the 2019-20 budget of £2.2 million to our reserves. We always preserve, prepare the budget with an eye to the future, and this year more than ever. I recognise it's an election year, and this budget is a positive budget. You could say the weather is sunny, but it would be far too easy for us to duck the difficult choices that we face as a council going forward. So with that in mind, I'd refer you to the medium-term financial strategy set out in Appendix C on pages 73 to 84. Um, we face significant financial challenges, not today, but just over the horizon. In the starkest terms, we've dealt with a one-third reduction in government funding, but the challenge ahead of us is likely to be substantially greater. For details of that, I'd refer you to, on the contents of the medium-term financial strategy, table uh, 11 on page 75, and that shows that in the life of this five-year medium-term financial strategy, government funding will decline by over 50%, from 6.6 million in 2019-20 to 3.1 million in 2023-24. And we need to put this in the context of an organisation that is broadly a £12 million business. So the scale of the challenge is spelt out in more detail on page 79. That identifies a surplus in the year that we're dealing with today and then a growing deficit going forward as a consequence of cuts in government funding to this organisation. The reserves that we've identified, the business rates reserve and the funding reserve, will allow us to smooth that process. 
So transferring the surplus and using 500,000 of that in 2020-2021, 800,000 for the following two years in each of those two years, and 860,000 in 2023-24 makes a significant contribution to managing that challenge. But it is clear that there is a deficit facing this Council in the future, and the challenge is clear to us. However, the good news is that we can see it, and we've got a couple of years to prepare for it. We've prepared for anything, for things as bad as this in the past, and I feel confident and comfortable that as an organisation, we will be able to meet this challenge. Clearly, there are scope for efficiencies. Um, but I think that not on this scale. There is scope to increase council tax, I guess, if you ask local residents, but you need to place it in context. A 1% increase in council tax is roughly the equivalent of £55,000. So a £3.5 million funding gap would require a two-thirds increase in council tax. For me, it's always been a fairly binary choice. Four years ago, we as a council could see a fall in our income. So you have a significant choice, but a fairly simple binary choice to make. You either cut your overhead, you cut services, or you increase your revenues in some way. Um, efficiencies are part of the solution, but I am proposing to you within the general fund investment strategy uh, for 2019-20 on pages 65 to 71, that we need to add another leg to our investment strategy. The initial investment in Chesterford Research Park was an important and, frankly, crucial first step. Uh, we are budgeting a net contribution from Chesterford Research Park of £1.7 million in 2019-20, a valuable first step which, if we had not made, we would be looking for a, at a very different budget today. We have the capacity to grow Chesterford Research Park, but it will not grow at the scale to meet this challenge. So we are proposing that the Council agrees in principle, but subject to the right opportunities, subject to Council agreeing each and every penny of investment, that we agree to a further expansion of our investment strategy over the next three years and beyond. Spending £20 million on expanding Aspire in 2019-20 through to 2021-22, and a further £80 million of additional investment outside of Chesterford Research Park in 2019-20 through to 2021-22. My preference has always been that we should deliver this in district, but I think we have to be realistic about the scope and opportunities available to us to deliver that type of return. I suppose the next step would be to look within region, Essex, Hertfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Suffolk, and then broaden it within the UK. At this stage, we are not committing the Council to anything other than the principle of expanding and diversifying our investment strategy. Uh, it is proposed that a governance structure for this further phase uh, we'll come back to Council at its meeting on the, on, the 9th of no, sorry, on the 9th of April. It's clearly necessary for us to give considerable thought, thought to how best to put in place a governance 
structure for such a significant increase in our investment strategy. I don't want to preempt the debate we'll have on that occasion. I do think that there are some pointers that, that I can give to officers as to what I think they should come back with. And I set those out to Cabinet at the last meeting. It's important for me that Council is the ultimate decision maker for all decisions. We are ultimately responsible to the electorate for the decisions that we make. And we should be the decision making body. But any governance structure, I think, should ensure that there's early engagement with the widest possible body of councillors. The early stage review should include a range of councillors such as, for example, other group leaders. I think we would benefit from a contribution at an early stage from non-executive advisers in addition to our professional advisers. Um, I personally would hope that scrutiny could have an important role and I think it's essential that we, the way we conduct the meetings changes so we deal with these things either in standalone separate meetings or at the beginning of the meetings rather than tagging them on at the end. These are far, far too important for us to be debating at the end. I, I'm sorry, I, I said I wasn't going to debate this and then I started rambling. Apologies. Um, I, I think this is something we can debate at our leisure on the night, but I do think we do need to put something in place I'm very conscious of the importance of our investment strategy. I'm very conscious that this will only work if we take some of the party political um, manifestations out of the decision making. I'm also keen that we try and start thinking beyond just the lifetime of one council, but start thinking in decades. As an organisation, for this to work, and we are learning how this works, it's important for us to see beyond just the, the next election. So, to sum up, this is a budget for a council which is con in control of its future. For the last few years, and I'd like to think that in the last four years in particular, we've taken the right decisions. Uh, we've been investing when it was the right thing to do, investing for the future. I would say repairing the roof when the sun shines. We have strong balances, our reserve strategy is based on anticipating and being prepared for unexpected events. So while we hope for the best, we've always prepared for the worst. We've navigated our way through challenges um, and we've, we are in a good position to be able to navigate ourselves through the challenge that I think that is ahead of us over the course of the next four years. So with that in mind, if you don't mind, I will refer councillors to page 39 through to 41 and Mr Pugh has very kindly said that I do not have to read out the entire set of recommendations but I do need for the benefit of those who are not at this meeting but are listening to refer to the specific items that we're going to be voting on. So Appendix A has in total five recommendations. Uh, Appendix A deals with the robustness of estimates and the adequacy of reserves. Appendix B deals with our investment strategy and has a total of three recommendations. Appendix C, the medium-term financial strategy, has the single recommendation. Appendix D, our treasury management strategy, has two recommendations, Roman 10 and Roman 11. Appendix E, our capital strategy, has two recommendations, Roman 12 and Roman 13. Appendix F, the capital programme, has a single recommendation, Roman 14. Appendix G, the housing revenue account, 
Romans 15, Appendix H, the General Fund Revenue and Council Tax, two recommendations, Roman 16 and 17, Appendix I, the Council Tax Resolution 2019-20, a single resolution, uh, Resolution 18, Roman 18, and I'd refer you to the all-important Equalities Impact Assessment in Appendix J, which is Resolution 19. Thank you. Thank you. Does that find a seconder? Oh, Councillor Rolf, um, do you wish to speak or now, now or later? Thank you. You touched on one uh, very briefly on one very important aspect of how to communicate with councillors in the future. And um, you mentioned that it will be done in a, in a better, in a more timely way and not at 10 o'clock at night as we did before. The trust of councillors uh, will depend on, on how this is handled and in specific investments that come uh, along before us, we really have to have adequate time and quite separate meetings and not part of council. Can I have your assurances on that please? Thank you. I'm happy to take questions and comments individually or try and wrap them up at the end if there are others. But dealing with Councillor Foley, first of all, I, I can't give you a personal assurance because I haven't seen the report that officers are preparing. Um, I, I'm also not in charge of the agenda for our meetings, and so it's in the gift of councillors. If we want to deal with things at 10 o'clock at night, um, then we, we will because we've spent other times dealing with other items. But it is my personal wish that we deal with these items at the beginning of meetings or we hold separate meetings dealing specifically with this. I cannot give you anything more of an assurance that that would be what I would hope we would do in future. Uh, what I would request is because of the amount of money involved and the commitment, I mean, the, 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 the money involved here is equivalent to 20, 30 years of council tax receipts. This is an enormous uh, uh, investments that, that should this, this, this uh, come about uh, tonight I would plead with you to um, and, and through the chair ask that this is really uh, always handled in a separate basis just because of the sheer amount of it uh, things go wrong and it can go very wrong uh, I, I, in, in, in one case that I can think of in particular a council has disappeared because of it. These investments are so huge that it could put the whole district um, the council in jeopardy. Sorry, Councillor Dean. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I would like to uh, thank uh, Councillor Howell for his uh, presentation. It's the third time I've heard it, so... Um, <laughs> and I'll come back for more if necessary. <laughs> um, and also I repeat thanks to the officers for the work that they've done clearly to pull all this together. I would have wished to be able to vote for the, the budget in its entirety, and I think in previous years, if I recollect correctly, I have done. But um, sadly, as of today, and I emphasize as of today, I cannot. The Liberal Democrats are content with the, the broad funding and spending proposals, including the level of council tax for the coming financial year. We recognise the 
likely need, very likely need to bridge a looming funding gap and deficit of over £2 million in only two years from now, rising to something like 3.5 two years thereafter. As to whether this is alarmist, none of us can be absolutely sure at the moment. At the, um, <clears throat> at the January Scrutiny Committee, the question was asked whether we could lobby central government to reverse the austerity that is being imposed on all authorities. We've already seen that um, even Conservative-controlled Northamptonshire County Council was en route, is en route to ab abolition after it failed to balance its books and relied too much on one-off sources of income, as I understand it. The, um, the, the former leader of that council has called, for, called on central government for what she described as fair funding. The local government association has also called for fair funding. To my knowledge, Uttlesford District Council has not yet openly called for fair funding. The leader was asked at the Budget Scrutiny Committee whether scrutiny could lobby for fair funding, but was told to await the outcome of existing lobbying. Now, as far as I'm aware, the Council has had no visibility of this lobbying, lobbying and the public has had no awareness of this lobbying. And I, I do fear that too often, Uslford relies on behind-the-scenes chats between Conservative councillors and Conservative ministers, which may or may not get anywhere. Which leads me to my my main concern that UDC is being pushed progressively into the world of commercial investment by this government, but without the controls and accountability in place. Councillor Foley has made some reference to this already, and I would say that in the MTFS, the medium-term financial strategy, and the investment strategy, it's proposed that the Council would be in debt within a few years to the tune of £150 million. Now, if in extreme circumstances that goes hopelessly wrong, the residents of Uttlesford could find themselves with debts equivalent to, as Councillor Foley said, 25 to 30 years' worth of Council tax payments. And if that money were lost, the Council tax would have to double for so many years to pay off the loans. That would be impossible. I've been complaining for months that this council has not properly established proper decision-making and oversight for making risky commercial investments. And all investments have risks of varying degrees. I've been told at council meetings that I am wrong to ask awkward questions. Members of the public have been put down for asking questions about the Council's investment. Councillor Howell did say a few minutes ago, and, and I'm pleased about that, and the matter did come up at um, the Cabinet meeting last week about putting new arrangements in place. But until this Council actually puts in place proper investment controls and appropriate oversight of existing investments, my fellow Liberal Democrats and I will abstain or possibly vote against but probably abstain on the investment strategy and the medium term financial strategy presented to us tonight. 
So on that basis, Madam Chairman, I would like to ask that there, should, there be a, a separate vote on items B and C, which cover the investment strategy and the medium-term financial strategy. And I look forward to proposals coming forward next month and the following month to correct these shortcom present shortcomings. Thank you. Your pardon. Um, thank you, Councillor Dean. I have Councillor Fairhurst next. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I would like first to thank Councillor Howell and, and the officers for the tremendous amount of work that's been put into this process um, and start just by saying that often told the way to hell is paved with the best intentions. Madam Chairman and fellow councillors, I'd like to respond to the investment of 100 million in terms of our investment strategy. In 1987, I was co-opted onto my first investment committee. It was a global investment house managing in those days a princely sum of a billion dollars. Today, the amounts are measured in hundreds of billions. At the time, as a youngster, I was impatient about the seemingly arcane protocols and limits that we imposed on ourselves at every meeting. We were not just tasked with acquisitions, but dispositions and hedging strategies. Derivatives and, and, and alternative assets were relatively new then. We were, for example, precluded by our risk protocol, protocol from investing more than 5%, no more than 5% in any particular asset, no matter how good it looked. Similarly, in our less aggressive funds, we couldn't hold more than 35% in any single asset class. And in fact, in property, no more than 20%. This is sort of standard in the industry even now. It was very frustrating. I'd sit there and think, why can't we do better? It looks so brilliant. Later that year, I saw my first market event, the 1987 crash and correction. We emerged relatively unscathed, where other funds were destroyed. And then I realized the importance of governance and discipline. Madam Chairman, I have spoken about the lack of due governance at Council since the very first proposal was made to us. To be, to be absolutely clear, I agree wholeheartedly with the need for prudent investment. I recognize the need arising from the forecast gap in our revenues by 2023. I realize that with reduced government funding, councils all over the country are being forced to take huge risks and learn complex skills just to make ends meet. And it's a shame. Madam Chairman, I also realise that given the current historically low borrowing rates, we as a local authority would be naive not to consider borrowing substantial sums to invest carefully with respectable yields. But this should not be a licence to speculate, nor should it be an excuse to avoid all the necessary processes that every investment professional regards as basic good practice. We have been presented with a document professing to be an investment strategy. Madam Chairman, friends and councillors, this is not an investment strategy, and it could never be one. A plan for future acquisition it may be, and an explanation of how we mitigate the huge risk we took in plunging £50 million of borrowed funds into a single asset, it might also be that. But it is not, nor could ever be, an investment strategy. You see, an investment strategy, which usually takes place before investing huge sums of other people's money into anything, must contain at least the following items. One, scale or scope. How much do we actually plan to invest? It was 50 million, now I'm told it's going to be 150 million, no small change. 
It must have an investment objective. Why are we investing? How much income do we need? Now, I've got that, and we've been told there's a gap. The gap is three and a half billion, or it's five or six, but let's, six, let's set a figure. It should have some idea of investment risk profile. So, what is the source of funds? What are operational needs? What are the tax implications? It should, of course, have an investment time horizon, or three or four. We used to have three or four different stats staggered to allow liquidity, because liquidity is one of the critical processes. It should have an investor's risk tolerance. How much can we afford to lose, chaps? How much can we afford to lose? Not as much as you think. And most importantly, it should have a set of risk protocols, such as percentages in each asset class, to discipline us, and then demand expected yields. It should have exit acquisition thresholds. When do we get out, or when do we cut our losses? Nobody knows, and it's not in this. Madam Chairman, we were told more than a year ago that we would be investing 50 million. So there's your target scale. As I say, now it's 150. We were told today that the gap we needed to fill is three and a half by 2023, or maybe it's five, or maybe not. Perhaps it's more or less. There's your investment objective, or something like it. But there's no clarity, and there's no discipline. There's no governance. We're a public body dealing with residents' money. And so I suspect our risk tolerance ought to be so much in line with that consideration. Quite low. We are investing by taking advantage of borrowing rates. This should be also to colour our risk appetites. Never borrow to speculate. It's first, the first rule of banking. But we've not even set up a body to assess these issues over time. What we seem to have is a sort of a valiant effort by officers to step up into the role of investment specialists, assisted by oddly underqualified or non-qualified executive, non-executive directors with little or no finance or property experience. I kid you not. We're told they've got strong public knowledge. Excellent. Public service knowledge. And then we're told, all of us around the table, that once the cabinet has decided it's a brilliant idea, we can support, support it and just put hands up. It has never seen the inside of an investment committee. Once they've vetted this decision, it's up to the councillors like ourselves to approve each deal on its own. That's not an investment strategy. It's always taken as a unit. I am finishing. Of course it's flawed. There's an absence of any governance. Process regarded as basic in industry are completely absent here. In the past, I've argued for an investment committee. Ideally, this would include some members with some expertise in the field. It must ultimately be accountable to this chamber and to the people. I've passionately argued against this opportunity acquisition. It looks great. It looks great. But the risks generally are commensurate with the reward. Regardless of the merits of each particular asset, before you spend, at least know why, how, and how to manage the asset in the future. It's a lot like walking past and, 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 and wondering, wanting to buy a wonderful, shiny new Audi before learning how to drive. It looks beautiful on the forecourt. I love cars. Even in your garage, it looks pretty great. Perhaps wonderful value in the future. But in your hands, not so much. To argue that we look that look we've already done so well in our first year is like the stockbroker jumping out of the Empire State Building and saying, So far so good. Madam Chairman, councillors, it's not about the need, I get that. It's not even about the perceived quality of the assets. It's about the process. It's cart before the horse. I am overjoyed. I'm delighted to hear that in April or wherever it is going to be, we're going to sit down and finally start doing the process from the beginning. Will we have already committed to 150 million by then? A little bit early. 
Take a breath, I implore you, before you throw more money at the asset and simply do what every other prudent investor would do. Set up an investment committee, do the homework and put together a real investment strategy and then let us make credible decisions for the future of the district. I assure you, the alternative could end very badly indeed. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Councillor Fairhurst. Uh, Councillor Chambers, you are next. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Madam Chairman, first of all, can I apologise to the Council for being late? I think some of you realise um, why I was late tonight and why I had to disappear yesterday. And I'm here this evening because I have never missed a budget meeting in all my years and I didn't intend to miss one tonight. And I'm delighted that I haven't. I wasn't going to speak this evening, Madam Chairman, but if I hear Councillor Foley talking about, obviously, the investment strategy, and I listen to, uh, to Alan Dean with his investment strategy, and I think to myself, hmm, I think it was between 2003 and 2007 that we made an investment in lands banking. Now, when we made that investment in lands banking, you know who was in power as well as I do. And it solved it, it actually came about that in 2007, when the Tories got back into power, the council was in such a mess that we had to make a lot of staff redundant. Nobody likes doing that, but that's a case of where you've got to cut your coat according to your cloth. We had to make very difficult decisions, and from 19, and, uh, 2007 until now, due to the last four years, obviously to do with Councillor Howell, we are in a reasonable position. Now, moving on to uh, our next expert, that gentleman over there, Councillor Fairhurst, perhaps I could ask him, uh, if he's so good at investment, why the town council in Saffron Warden, why do they have a higher council tax than we do on the district. Doesn't sound like a very... All right, you've had your turn. You just wait. No, I, you just wait. The member is speaking. He should be heard in silence. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I think it's very important because we are moving into an age now with local government which is vastly different to what it was years ago. Whether we like it or not, whichever party is in power in London, whether it's the Tories, don't think it's likely to be the Lib Dems, might be the Labour, might be an Independent, I don't know. You all have a problem with how you're going to cope with the financial situation, whether we're in Europe or whether we're not. And one of the things that will happen, and it's happening now, is that we are having to make decisions that makes ourselves uh, much more able to look after our own finances. So we're not moving straight into the commercial business, but we are moving towards part of it within our financial regulations, which we never had years ago. Now, the money that we're talking about in this budget is for the next five years. 
I can't tell you who's going to be at the council after me. We all hope that we all will be, those of us who are standing and those of us that want a party to win. But whichever party gets into administration, they have got this problem in front of them. We have got to find more income. Now, the point being is that, all right, we are looking at this investment strategy, we are moving forward, we are not making quick decisions. We had a debate last time about, yes, we need to have more time to actually look at it. That is exactly what we are proposing. And hopefully, when we go forward, it will be up to the Council to decide what sort of risks it takes. I personally do not want it to be a high risk. I want it to be a risk that is we can sustain and also look after our residents to keep the council tax and indeed the excellent services that we get now top of our priority. Madam Chairman, I shall have much delight in uh, saying to Councillor Howard, I shall be the first one to vote for you because I think that the, this is the right way forward. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Thank you. Um, Councillor Sell. I think it's reasonable. You, you have, I don't really want to get into a slanging match across the council, and um, Councillor Sell was next, so if you want to speak, then. You're, I beg your pardon. You'd rather, you're happy to wait. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chairman. The question, was, the question was asked, and it was fairly clear, is about Saffron Walden's finances. And I'd like to respond to that, because it is important. It's not me asking to take risks here, to be honest. It's you. Um, I'm asking to take less risks. When we arrived at Saffron Walden, we found the finances in a terrible state. In fact, our foes said it was a basket case. We also found our major asset, the town hall, was so dilapidated that insurance... Of order. I understand I'm responding a, a question. Debate. I understand this is a budget debate. Councillor Fairhurst, as I said, I don't want to get it. This isn't really relevant to tonight's budget. So if we could Absolutely. keep on track, Madam, please. I did not open the discussion. It was pointless. Well, in that there. case, there's no... Chairman, could I ask, please, that we have some order here? Could I ask you to keep your questions relating to the budget tonight and not get into issues that are of no concern of this council? Okay, I'll talk, just, I talk just to the budget then. Why, why did you, point of order, madam, then why did you allow another member to make that very same diversion without stopping him? I'm, I'm fine. I'll talk just to the budget, madam chairman. Thank you. I, 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 about chairman, your point of clarification. No, point of bias clarification. is fine. Just Point of clarification, Councillor. My Bob. understanding is we are debating the budget. My understanding is members may speak once. Could I have that clarified? No, I won't. As I said, you have the right of reply, but please make it succinct and, and we're moving on. Thank you so much. About this budget. This is a very high-risk budget, and can I ask one question, please? 
The decision is taken not on political grounds. You have raised parties, if you have some special rights to it. It's about the, the, the future of this council, not in the next four years, the next 50 years. So to point fingers and say it's all about parties and vote on party if you like and see what, how you get punished in May. Right. Um, Councillor Sell, you were next. Do you want to come next? <laughs> Thank you, Madam Chairman. In a spirit of uh, consensus to begin with, I should like to say a personal thank you to Councillor Howe and to the team for the work they've done. And I've always been impressed by Councillor Howe's cogent delivery, and I always think that he would be an excellent candidate for just a minute. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, I'm very pleased with some of the comments he's made um, in that there's a recognition that the governance arrangements need to be reviewed. I was one of those who advocated non-executive directors for a SPA. That came about. I do agree with Councillor Fairhurst that what we've got before us is not an investment strategy. And I have a number of concerns. And it's... I don't claim, Councillor Chambers will be pleased to know, I do not claim to be an expert on local government finance, but what I do do is I read from those who claim to be experts and form my own opinion. And at the recent Governance Audits and Performance Committee, we had our external auditor here, and I did ask him uh, before the start of the meeting about commercial arrangements that councils entered into, and he said it was forming an increasingly important part of their work. And I have some concerns, not just on governance. I agree with Councillor Dean also, is that we mustn't lose sight of the fact that why we're having to do this in order to plug the gap that central government has caused. And therefore, we should be campaigning hard for a fair funding for local councils. Councillor Rolfe tells us often his meetings at, with a Conservative Councils Conference, his meetings with ministers, etc. What he hasn't told us is whether he's actually pushing that with his colleagues. Uh, the chair of the local government association is a Conservative. The Conservatives are the biggest group. They're in government, and this is what we're having to respond to. And, as I said, it's not... Myself, this uh, expressing concern, it's experts who, in theory, should know what they are talking about. And I just want to draw members' attention to a couple of articles which have been recently written. And yeah, here we go. This is from an article dated the 4th of December 2018. And it's, I uh, must confess, from an organisation I haven't heard of before, uh, which is the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. And the headline is, The Public Service Gamble, Councils Borrowing Billions to Play the Property Market. I'll just read out a short extract from it. And I suppose it's one consolation, if it is a consolation, that Uddersford at the moment is nowhere near the top of the league uh, for borrowing for commercial activities. Spelthorne Council in Surrey has so far borrowed £1 billion, despite having a, a Conservative Council, by the way, despite having a net annual budget of £22 million. They're nearly toast. Uh, and the 
But experts warn that commercial property investments are volatile and the fact that councils are financing them through borrowing makes them even riskier. If anything goes wrong, the consequences for taxpayers could be severe. I think even Council of the Chambers would acknowledge that one of the experts on local government finance is the Charter Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy. And this is Mr Peebles, who head of policy, says, I quote, If you look at the most extreme examples, there are public services used by vulnerable people which are dependent on how well rental income in the property market is doing. This is a risk, Mr Peebles continues, that local authorities have never been exposed to before, and you have to ask whether they are equipped to handle that risk. And that brings me to my next point, is that the officers work hard, they worked hard to deliver Chesterford Research Park, which I am in support of, I voted for. Uh, but I am worried about, um, Council Howe may well be addressing that in future, about the capacity of the organisation in order to proceed along this route. Because these officers have their normal day jobs as well. And we are asking a lot of them to expect them to be out identifying potential sources. Yes, we can consult experts and so on. So, in conclusion, Madam Chairman, I agree that we've got to plug the gap. But what I would also endorse other members' comments, that we have got to get the governance arrangements right. And it's something I would agree with Councillor Chambers in that he said, correct if I'm wrong, that he advocated low risk. And that's what something that I would also go along with, because we are dealing with public money, and I would be very loath to see us in a position where the bubble explodes and we've exposed our residents to unnecessary risk. And finally, Councillor Barker might be interested to hear this, is that another article I read recently said that Essex County Council is reducing their investments because of concern about the impact of Brexit. And I can give Councillor Barker the article which is referred to there. So that, as I did a trawl through the literature, there is increasing concern by people who have not necessarily got a political axe to grind, SIPFA, um, doesn't, as far as I know, got a political agenda, party political agenda. There is increasing concern about what local councils are being forced to do, such as themselves. Mm. So we have to, one, make sure we put the case to government about fairer funding, and two, get our governance arrangements properly running, and three, to proceed cautiously. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Sell. Um, before we proceed, I'm aware that we are on the two hours, so could I, by show of hands, have you indicate that you're content to continue? Thank you. Right, Councillor Hargreaves, did you wish to speak? Yes. Um, I've got uh, a short story, some facts, and I hope a conclusion. You like a story? Um, short, which, and a conclusion which I hope perhaps we can all agree to. Uh, when I first started as, a, as an accountant junior trainee, the very second audit I went on, 
that point, great mass of brown curly hair, you can imagine. Um, it was the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. Now, PCCI. I've been an auditor of BCCI. At that point, I didn't know my debits and my credits, but I could see that it didn't look right. My audit company was sensible. Shortly afterwards, they resigned the audit because they couldn't make a true and fair view out of it, and they got out before things went bad. Moving on a few years, uh, I'd risen to be treasurer of a large reinsurance broker, a lot less hair, and I was there on the day when BCCI went bust. And I was able to say to the, the board after meeting that day, don't worry, none of our money's in there and none of our clients' money is in there. And what's more, everybody in the business knew not to touch them. Who got caught? Local authorities, because they weren't in the business. Moving on again, it's already been mentioned 2007, 2008, um, hair gone white by that point, what was left. Uh, Icelandic banks, everybody knew in the business, undercapitalised, under uh, too small a country, not well regulated, don't touch them. Who got caught? Local authorities, because they didn't, they didn't know. Moving to now, hair as presented, uh, we got reports of councillors taking barrow loads of cheap cash from the government and investing in shopping centres. Now, does anyone think investing in shopping centres is a great idea? If you've got the freehold and change of use, maybe, but keeping the shopping centres, people are putting money in. You think, well, is that great? So the theme here of local councils forced to do things and not getting it right. Now, moving to the facts. We got, I think, £1.7 million of interest from... Aspire in the last financial year. However, if you look at the accounts of Aspire, Aspire actually lost in that same period, it made a loss of three and a quarter million pounds. Part of that loss was because the property was reassessed, revalued, professional revaluation, 31st of March 2018, and that reduced the value of what we bought, or what Aspire bought, uh, of um, by £2.7 million. Now, that's an unrealised loss. These things happen. That loss is not mentioned. We've got the income in UDC's accounts. That loss is not mentioned, not noted in UDC's accounts. So you can argue over the counting treatment. But I just mention this to show what happens. You put a lot of money in, and a year later, it's worth five and a bit percent less than when you put the money in. And maybe it'll go up, maybe it'll go down, but it's just a warning here. Big stuff, all in one place. That is what can happen. Now the conclusion. Looking at the experts who've looked at our investments, and they look to me to be ones who are there to work on the delivery of what we've already decided to do, or probably decided to do. That's fine. You need that. But they don't seem to me to be experts who've looked at the overall strategy balancing the investments uh, and making sure if you're investing overall 150 million pounds we need to be prepared to spend money on people who seriously know what they're doing uh, to balance it up to get the very best outcome for us we need the income i'm happy to say yes i'll vote for another 100 million to go into it 
but we need to make sure that we get the very best outcome, we get to the lowest risk. So we need, I think, a, a board here of uh, external professional experts prepared to pay the money to get them. If you're spending that sort of money, spending money on experts to get it right is, I think, a good thing. So, yes, we need to do it, we're forced to do it, it can work, but we need to have, I think, more experts at the higher level investment. Thank you. Right, I have Councillor Lodge and then Councillor Knight and then Councillor Fairhurst. Oh, I beg your pardon. Freeman, it's been a long night. <laughs> Just, just before I speak, I just uh, have a question on, on process. We, we, in fact, have an amendment to, uh, to this motion, as I understand it, unless I've misunderstood it. Is it. Would it be not normal to look at the amendment before we go to the substantive? Well, Councillor Sell hasn't put that forward yet, so we'll just conclude this debate, and then, no doubt, Councillor Sell will put his, his motion. I beg your pardon? Well, we'll just conclude this debate and then we'll go to your motion. You okay, so we, we continue to uh, uh, debate the original motion then as, uh, as put. Thank you. Yep. Um, I'm a little, bit, a, a little bit surprised at uh, Councillor Chambers' reaction. My, my, my colleague here is, I think that there, there will be very little doubt, one of the most experienced people uh, in this area when it comes to looking at the investment strategy that, that we may need. And um, in response to that, Councillor Chambers starts off by making one party political point against the investment of, uh, of the Liberal Democrats and then comes on to the um, uh, financial management of Saffron Walden Town Council. That cannot, cannot, cannot be left unsaid. When, when my party took over that particular uh, responsibility, the town hall was falling down. The insurance company would not insure the company because of the state it was in. I won't say anything more than that, but that just really uh, emphasises that we have put that back on track. This party doesn't know what it's doing. Now, in particular, Councillor Fairhurst, as I said before, is, is very well versed in this. And so he made the point. Let, let's listen to the points that he made that we need to understand the risks that, we're, that we're, we're going for. We need to understand the classes that we're going into as far as investment's concerned. We need to look at the percentages that we can put in. These are very prudent matters which have absolutely got, got to be considered before we can move on to making up that, um, that um, difference in budget looking forward two or three years, somewhere of the order of three million pounds. That in itself is one of the biggest decisions that this council could ever possibly make. Um, I think the Finnish bank lost, lost about a million pounds. It was peanuts compared to what we're looking at here. This needs proper consideration. There's much to commend this budget. I, I, I also commend the work that um, Mr. Webb and his um, colleagues have done and that Councillor Howell has done. There's a lot to commend uh, this budget, but putting it in proportion, investing upwards of £100 million, the rest of the budget pales into insignificance. If we cannot put together that investment committee 
and it's of people who are external to this organisation who understand that market. Yes, I agree, the 39 members have got to make the final decision. It will come back here. And I raised this at Cabinet, and I don't think Councillor Howell really understood what I was saying. He was talking about deal flow. This isn't about deal flow. This is understanding the really big picture. We haven't got the big picture yet, Madam Chairman. As a result, we cannot support this budget. We have to do more work, and I would um, very strongly recommend post this, that we get down to the serious work particularly along the lines that my colleague has outlined. Thank you. All right, thank you. I'm going to take Councillor Knight, um, well, and then Councillor Freeman. Councillor Gerrard, and then I think we should take... Oh, oh Councillor Roth. Okay, then we will take Councillor Sell's amendment. Thank you. I'd like to make two points. Um, I, I appreciate Councillor Howell's point about bringing the budget to the beginning. I think we should have a separate meeting. One of the things is when there are amendments put forward or motions uh, by councillors, I think that these affect members of the public and should be held first because unfortunately members of public that are really concerned with the motions being put forward have either fallen asleep or gone home. I'd like to do both. So I'd like to recommend that for a start. But going on to the actual budget, it's many, many years since I was in the square mile. Things have moved on. Um, I understand the amount of work that the officers and Councillor Howe have done cannot be expressed in gratitude much. It's a, a thankless task and takes many hours. I'm well aware that we need to find somewhere in the gap and I must support that we need to invest money. Everything was going swimmingly until Councillor Fairhurst had the audacity to stand up. Um, it's many years since I've been in Square Mile, but I still know an expert when one spokes up. Uh, his presentation was excellent. It's made me very windy. You can't throw out the Landers Bank because that was recommended by government and practically every council got caught. So that's not anybody's fault there. Um, I want to support this, but I would like to, to propose that we have a panel of experts in the investments which includes all parties that are experts because I'm certainly no longer one and with independent experts and I agree with whoever proposed that we pay for this. It's a risky business and I think that it shouldn't be party political. I think we need to spend the money. We all know there's a gap. We've got to do something about it. But I'm very, very windy unless this is treated and a new committee is set up with people and I don't want to be in it because I am no longer an expert. That's just my personal opinion and I don't know what I'm going to do now because, um, sorry, Councillor, I hate what you've done because it's made me very nervous when I was perfectly happy before that. Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Madam Chairman. <coughs> um, I, too, am windy. Uh, uh, <laughs> Stay there, that's good. <laughs> uh, I think it's the next... In terms of the amount of work that's gone into it, and as a council budget, I think uh, it's a, a very fine piece of work. Uh, the, the elephant in the room is this substantial investment that we're making in order to close the gap in funding. And that's been thrust upon us by government 
uh, reducing its support uh, for local councils. And I say, well, that's all right, you can borrow money off us very cheaply, uh, and you go off and close the gap yourself by making investments. Turn yourselves into entrepreneurs. Well, we're not entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm a scientist by training. I actually have another colleague here, of course, uh, Councillor Hargreaves, uh, first degrees in chemistry, same as myself. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah. But he went down a much more sensible route. He turned into a, a money man. Uh, the thing is that you do need somebody around that knows something about the subject you're working in. And the great weakness, as I said it at the time, it was in, in, in camera, so that I don't think there's a record of it, but I said it at the time that the weakness of investing in a science park is that we don't know very much about science. Uh, and a lot of people that do investments say it doesn't matter, it's just an investment. You know, you spread the risk, you do this, you do that, you do the other. That didn't stop the crash of 2007. And it didn't stop various other financial crashes. They were all experts there at the time. And the plane still flew into the side of a cliff, uh, despite all the experts that were trying to fly it. So my appeal to um, common sense, really, is that if, uh, obviously we should have uh, an expert panel to run this thing, our investments as a whole. If you're going to invest in science, then you need to at least have some scientific input into it. And that doesn't involve me because I'm no longer current in the field. Uh, but you need to have somebody who actually knows what they're looking at. And I'm not being rude to the folks that have worked on Aspire. It's just that they're not scientists either. Uh, and it's, otherwise, it's rather like trying to run a school without actually having any teachers or educationalists. That's all right, because we've, we've got a model. Or running a hospital without any doctors. That's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, we can work it out. We'll look it up on the web. It doesn't make any sense. So whatever this panel is that's put together, I appeal to you to actually add a leavening of people that actually know what they're looking at in terms of the technologies involved or the sort of areas involved. And an example is this building, and I've forgotten the name of it, I'm afraid, uh, that's been refurbished uh, at the science park that we've invested in. And I think we've invested um, certainly £10 million in that so far. Well, the point is, uh, it seems to work on the assumption we'll make a nice building, like an office, and then people will come along and want to use it. And it isn't like that. These are very specialist. You, you configure a laboratory to the work that you're doing. You configure a manufacturing plant to the work that you're doing. You don't build one and then hope that somebody will come along and inhabit it. It doesn't work like that. They're very specialised bits of kit, very specialised buildings, very specialised constructs. If you have already, if you already know who your client is going to be, who your tenant's going to be, you can then configure it appropriately. We don't know that. I don't think we've got a tenant for it yet. Uh, and then they design the building, basically. Maybe we put the money into it, but it's bespoke for their requirement. So it would seem to me that we must have some expert input to this, quite apart from those that are expert in investments and this and that and the other. There needs to be a limited amount of people who actually know really what they're looking at, if you've got a science park, and that's what you've got. You've invested in the science park, so you need to have somebody that understands what they're looking at in that very specialised field. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Freeman. Um, Councillor Gerard. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, first of all, I think 
I'd like to you know, thank Councillor Howell for the amount of work that's involved here. I also know how much work goes into this from a slightly different side, but good piece of work. Also the officers and Mr. Webb also. Um, I think most of us probably agree on, on fundamentally that we have a problem, and particularly I'm talking about the investment strategy here. I think the rest of the budget, I, on the whole, don't have a problem with. But Appendix B, I think we can just pigeonhole that for a moment, um, is where we seem to have the problem. I think we, most of us appreciate that there is a problem that's been forced upon us, and we have to do something. Absolutely, we have to do something. We have to find a way to pay for the services that we need to provide. Um, so we are left in a position where we are being asked to make a decision on this strategy. And that is where I have a problem because I don't think, even though we have lots of skills in this room and we are blessed with lots of skills, I don't think we actually do have the skills to make that decision based upon the way this has been put forward. Um, and I think it's just about you know, the fact that the, the process that we're trying to follow here, which, which we're being asked to vote on, I think the process is flawed. Um, because we are talking about, it's not our money, Madam Chairman, this is, this is the people's money. This is not our decision. If we were a private company having a board meeting now and we want to take a risk and go down the pub and have a good laugh about it, that's fine, we can do that. But we are, you know, we're trustees. We're trustees and our, and our residents are the beneficiaries. And I think that puts us in a difficult position. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we, 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 we can't stand up and say we have a surplus. We don't. Um, you know, we're told that you know, local authorities have to make cuts. We're trying to make cuts, but we, you know, we can't start cutting. You know, we've already made huge cuts. We've been told. We attended a couple of meetings with Mr. Webb, and we've been told the cuts are already down to the core. We're experiencing in Newport, I mentioned earlier, the fact that one of our departments, a big department, planning department, is struggling. It's under-resourced. It's making mistakes. And... I agree. We all make mistakes. It's true. When you are stretched to a limit, when you're overworked and under-resourced. So we have a problem. We can't make the cuts. So we do need to find the money. Um, and yet, we now seem to find ourselves able to invest not another 50 million, as we said a year ago, but it's increased to 100 million. Uh, 20 million of which is going into the original project. And this is, where, this is where I have a problem, and I think a lot of people here have the problem. Because um, I think we're being led down a rabbit hole. Um, and once again, I'd like to put it on record as caution. This is not our money. This is the people's money. Um, and we have a fiduciary duty to be prudent. That is our duty as trustees of our electorate. Now, we've been discussing, um, on the one hand, the government austerity programme, and on the other hand, a very um, excessively liberal, and I use that word in its proper sense, the liberal investment campaign, uh, which is based on borrowing. So we're borrowing money to speculate. 
That is actually what we're doing. And we, we say we're being forced to do that. Yes, we are, but borrowing to speculate is not borrowing to invest, but what's before us is borrowing to speculate. You'll notice that, you know, of the, on, the, on, the strategy, um, on this strategy, item 7 says there are four types of investment that we could make, and they're all property. Now, you know, commercial property, yep, it can be wonderful. I've been in commercial property for 30 years, and I've worked for our two advisors, Cushman and Wakefields and Savills, and they are good, but they do make mistakes. And the market at the moment in commercial property is in our favour. But it can change and it will change. And so we need to be able to protect ourselves and not be so focused on property. Why are we not looking at other types of investment? Why is it only property? Okay, maybe we think we only have the skills in the room to do with property, but there are other investments that we can look at. There are, you know, high-risk commercial investments, wonderful, but it's high-risk for a reason. The, the risk, the yield is related, they are directly related. The higher the risk, the higher reward, for a reason. Um, so, you know, I think that, as I said, it's not our money, it's the people's money. Um, and no sound investment advisor or bank would, would ever advise us to borrow money to speculate. It's just not good advice. So we should just take a moment and pause about what's sensible. Um, you know, no bank would allow you to borrow money, which what we're trying to do is borrow money, lend it to a third party, regardless of how robust that third party is. Uh, it, it seems like what we're trying to do is play bank but we're not a bank. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Wolf. Thank you, Chairman. Let me begin by, uh, as a number of across party have, have, have thanked Simon, Mr Webb and the team, but uh, what uh, a number of you may not be aware is that uh, this is uh, Councillor Howell's last uh, budget presentation. He's standing down in May. And over the last four years, he has been an outstanding cabinet member for finance administration. I think that's a sort of cross-party uh, thing. The, 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 um, our budget is, uh, is in great shape. Uh, and bearing in mind the cuts that have been referred to, we have enhanced our, our services. So we've actually put three, three new people started in planning uh, last week. Uh, Councillor Gerard, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, we've, we, we've increased the, the, the enforcement team, we've increased the litter picking team. You heard some of this from Councillor Howell, I won't repeat it. So we've, but of course, we've also invested uh, in capital. And again, I won't repeat it. But so we've been able to do all of this at a time of decreasing government support. And I think the guidance uh, that uh, Councillor Howell has given us has been absolutely first class. So thank you, Simon, for the last four years. We wish you a Happy retirement. Um, we'll, do more, we'll do more of that in, in April. So, uh, so and I, what, I, what I'm getting tonight is that um, people, re people respect the budget. Uh, they respect that we've got to do something. Uh, and I think the majority uh, respect that we've probably got to make investments. And I just want to point out to you, because we've made this point in the Chamber before, we're, we're actually slow to this game. So, um, City of Cambr uh, Chelmsford, um, Epping District Council... 
Braintree District Council, um, in fact most uh, local councils have been investing for the last 10-15 years and uh, so consequently are very uh, more uh, independent of government than we are. So we're late to it, uh, but we've made um, a very good start. I take uh, Councillor Freeman's point, and um, we have looked at the number of NEDs on the SPAR board, and it's possible that we could look for another one, and it's possible that other one could be, have a science leaning. Um, so, uh, a point taken. So, so, what we're really talking about then is, 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 is not about whether we've got to invest, because I think people recognise that we have got to invest. It's absolutely about the governance of the investment. Well, with respect, that's pretty much what Councillor Howell said, and I'm sure he's going to say a bit more about in his summing, summing up speech. There, there, there is cross-party support for, call it what you like, but an advisory um, panel. I don't think it's a board, I think it's a panel. Uh, and of course it would it in, include external people who have a particular specialism in this kind of field. And uh, you know, I can make the statement tonight uh, that between now and April we're very happy to work on a cross-party basis, we've already started that process at the group leaders meeting, uh, in terms of what that panel should look like uh, to pick up a, a whole range of the points that have been made tonight. Uh, because um, it, it's not 150 with respect to Councillor Fairhurst, it is, as correctly quoted by Councillor Gerard, it's another 20 into Chesterford Park because this is, this is an underutilised asset. It has a huge amount more potential. It doesn't actually have to be in scientific research. It could, it could be in other areas. But it is a, it is a, it, it is a great uh, uh, park and, and has con considerable capacity. Um, and uh, the other 80 is in something else. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be, and I don't think we're suggesting it's all going to be uh, in one particular investment. Um, and uh, we'd be very nervous about property. I spent 30 years in retail, so I have an affinity for it, but I certainly wouldn't be investing 80 million quid in a retail park. Uh, so, um, you, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of intelligence behind what we do do. But as I say, I give the assurance that there will be external input into the way uh, and where uh, that, uh, we, we invest. Thereafter, I think we all agree, it's probably got to be a specialist meeting. It could be the first item, but it's probably got to be a specialist meeting. As a precursor to that, people can't come to the meeting until they're absolutely comfortable about the detail of that. So whether it's on an individual group meeting or whether it's on a collective uh, council briefing session, to be able to quiz, including the external advisors, uh, all the detail that you need to know about that investment. Because we cannot get away from the fact that in the end, it will have to be uh, this council that makes that final decision. It is, as you rightly say, public money, but before you make that decision, you've got to be absolutely confident. I was, I was, I was fully briefed about uh, Chesterford Park, and I was quite confident that it was the right investment. And I think many others in the chamber went down the same route, and everybody's got to be taken to that point of confidence, uh, both amongst themselves, the advice that we get, very good advice that we get from our officers, but also that uh, external input. So... Um, I sense more agreement than disagreement, and I don't really want to, for the whole um, budget to fall foul because we're talking about something that actually uh, we've got a common solution to find. So I, I, I'd ask you to bear that in mind when you come to vote. As far as lobbying, 
Yeah, we lobby like hell all the time, and, uh, but you know, we're one council. We don't set government policy with respect. Um, the chief executive who was at the district councillor network uh, uh, session, I'm going to the um, Conservative Council Association where the Secretary of State and others will be there. Uh, we, we, we permanently lobby. Uh, I was lobbying the political advisor to the Secretary of State um, earlier this week. Um, are, uh, the, 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 the first-tier authorities uh, who provide social care and children's care have done a very good lobbying job, and governments listened, and they're doing something about it. So um, going back to my prevention discussion, if you're a unitary authority, you could put some money uh, into prevention. We can't, so the government might want to give us permission to add a one more percent to tax, uh, to, to, to local tax, just as they do for social care, so that we could introduce more prevention measures and, and, and measures that support prevention. I don't know, that's a possibility. But the government is looking very seriously now at district council financing as well. So we, 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 we've got the confidence. Now, I leave you um, with this thought. I've been uh, doing this for 12 years. Um, every year I'm told we're okay this year, but oh, bloody hell, if you look at it in two or three years' time, it's looking serious. Now, we've gone through 12 years, and that cliff hasn't happened. Now, it might one day, which is why I think Councillor Howell has done such a brilliant job, because he has planned for the future. But I have a confidence that uh, with the correct lobbying, uh, with common sense prevailing, that actually it won't be quite as bad. And then hopefully we'll have some, uh, some capital that we'll be able to invest in a whole host of projects to our mutual satisfaction. But I urge you to vote for this budget. I urge you to... It's not an, in, it's not an investment strategy. All we're asking is that we're able to invest another £20 million into our first, which is already governed by a good external body, and to have the capacity... We're not asking you to sign a cheque for £80 million tonight, but that as and when we've devised the model of advisory panels and, uh, and when a project is brought to you, that you're able to say, yes, well, I signed off that you could make that investment. Uh, so uh, for that reason, I urge all councillors to support the, the, the budget. Thank you very much. Councillor Sell's amendment has been circulated to everybody by email and I believe you are all given hard copy on arrival. So, Councillor Sell, would you like to put your motion? Thank you, Madam Chairman. If one thing with this amendment that I'm pleased about, it has produced a flurry of activity from Carver Barrett's my position has been straightforward all along, as you may know. Uh, I didn't support this, uh, this decision to give part funding of the running tracks. I have been concerned over time about the lack of progress on establishing the running track. We still have got no commitments from the Ministry of Defence. We have got some assurances from the, the Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel at the barracks. So, for my mind, the position has remained unchanged. We heard from Daniel Brett earlier on in public questions, and he referred to Stansted Football Club needing an upgrade to their facilities. But that's just one example in the district where, and I can point to several others that I know about in my patch, but I'm sure there are many more, where an investment is required to produce a good sporting provision. But the, 
these, this, this amendment is, uh, is neutral. It is not actually giving extra money. What it is doing is simply withdrawing financial support from the running track and earmarking that £500,000 within the Strategic Initiatives Fund towards a new reserve community infrastructure, including sport provision. I do realise that Councillor Knight has done a lot of work on this, along with Councillor Artis, and, and uh, uh, Carla Barrett is in her patch. Um, like other people, I have a great admiration for the armed forces. My father served for six years in the war, and uh, I have a great admiration. I've been to Carver Barracks when I was chairman, but it is not, it's, not a, it's about getting best value for our money and putting all our all the money into one athletics track at Carver Barracks, which, okay, may last to 2032 or may not, but nevertheless, it's got a finite life. And I just believe and have always believed that this money could be put to much better use throughout the whole district. And it was mentioned when we first debated this, colleagues may remember, several members commented on the uh, weakness of the report. And I believe it wasn't the fault of the author of the report that, the, that it was weak. It was weak because the, there was no business case that had been presented and organisations like Saffron Striders, I know, uh, are not convinced that their members will make use of that running track. So, yes, the barracks might well be keen on this facility, and why wouldn't they for their servicemen and servicewomen? Yes, of course they're going to make use of it, and it's good for them. But what I'm concerned about is the, what is good for the residents of the entire district. So, Madam Chairman, I invite colleagues to support the amendment. Thank you. Okay, does that have a seconder? Councillor, well, Councillor I'm happy Council, to second. Councillor Gerard. Sorry, Councillor Wolfe, you'd like to speak? Yeah, and I'm sure Councillor Knight oh, sorry, will. Sorry, I, I beg your pardon. Yes, I'll try not to be too long. Um, I, I do second this, amend, this amendment because I think it's judicious and prudent. Look, you know, we all want to, put, to, to invest in our community and sporting provisions for the community, but certainly Carver Barracks is not the only place that needs it. Now, there are going to be arguments to say that, you know, where else can you have an Olympic running track? But there are other parts of Uttlesford all across the district that has financial need for maintenance, upgrade, improvements, not just in my ward in Newport, which does need it, but also, I, I agree, you know, in Stansted, I agree with Daniel Brett, wherever he was, he mentioned it too, and, and I'm sure there are other parts, you know, in, down in Hatfield Heath and Dunmow and all over the place that needs financial support. So to put all the money into one place, I, I, again, I, I don't think it's judicious and I don't think it's, I don't think it's prudent. And that's why I second the motion. Thank you. So uh, I, I know what Councillor Knight will want to speak, but I just, I just want to oppose this motion as the leader of the council. Um, I'm disappointed that you've carried on because there has been correspondence in the last couple of days which makes the whole proposition a lot firmer than it was perhaps a month or two ago. 
Uh, we've been given a pretty uh, categorical certainty that the barracks will remain open until 2032 and maybe beyond that. So the whole debate about whether this was a good investment, the Council's been through that. It's taken that decision and collectively we decided that because uh, of the amount of money and work that the Army were going to put in, uh, this, this was a great investment. I'm not saying there are other examples around the area. I think the prudent thing would be to wait for the work that uh, Councillor Ranger indicated, the sports strategy, which is about to come out, the work that uh, they're doing in uh, Saffron Walden uh, with uh, Councillor Morris as well. Um, so, you know, there will be other areas and the Council will want to work out how it's going to provide those facilities. But this, this is in the bag. This is here. And this is a great facility in a great place in so far that already the facilities at Carver Barracks are used by all the community groups around. So access is not a particular problem. And you're going to get a running track, which we don't have. The army will build a mugger in the middle of that. They're going to build more football and rugby pitches. The whole thing will become a centre of sporting excellence. And it won't be in Saffron Walden. It will be more in the middle of the constituency, which is often one of the criticisms that we get. And I think it would be quite extraordinary for the council, after all the work that it's put in, and with the greater certainty that it's had in the last two two days in terms of actually being able to go ahead to reverse that decision. I think, I think we'd be sending out a message that we don't care about health, well-being and sport and that's certainly not the message that I want to put out. So I feel quite passionate about this and I hope you oppose the motion. Thank you. Well I suppose you all know what's coming from me but I find it totally disingenuous, uh, all of this. Right from day one, when, this was, we, when uh, John Mitchell was the CEO, he gave a category um, OK for this thing to go ahead. Um, there was a business plan put forward, paperwork's been brought forward, innumerable things has been going on for five years. This track could have been up and running four years ago and being utilised by the whole community. The one problem was when everything was about to proceed, the government came out with a list of places that they possibly thought would might close. Um, within a three months of that statement that Wethersfield would be one of them, they reversed it. On looking at the cost of actually moving a barracks the size of Carver Barracks, great rethinking was done. So very early on, the powers that be were already making moves. Uh, somebody quite sensibly, I'm not arguing that, decided to put in a clawback clause, um, not realising, not being experienced enough to understand financially what that would mean, uh, so that each year it closed before 2030, there would be a payback. Considering this was a grant and not a loan, and when, at that time would be the first time we'd ever put any clawbacks into um, a grant. It was quite difficult, but I could understand the reasoning why. During the course of the procedures over the years, 
um, when uh, Lieutenant Colonel, the CEO, Will McDonnell, was there, he actually stated that it was not going to close and spoke to officers at the council and explained, and they said they would have to have it in writing. Well, anybody in the people here say they've all got no military. It doesn't even have to be military. It can be large corporations. Anybody getting to sign something so far ahead of time um, as a guarantee, nobody is prepared to guarantee anything won't happen because governments can change, things can change. During this whole course of time, the Army has kept in close contact with myself and Council and had meetings with the CEOs respectively. It came to a point that uh, it was getting, during the course of last year, um, we were guaranteed the money and it was just the clawback clause. Uh, we were, uh, Adrian Webb had sent messages that the money was there and all of the problem was dealing with the clawback clause, but it was passed in, I think it was the September meeting, it's going back two years now, and they employed contractors and ready to start. And then we had this problem yet again. Um, this should have been done. The contractors were already start, ready to start January last year. We came back to the business of getting somebody at the, at the, I forget the name of the particular branch that deals with this, to actually put in writing what the final date would be. Uh, indications were made that once that clause was removed, that was the stumbling block. There were other issues with the army at the time that they had to sort out, but during the course time, it was told that they were expecting to give an answer by December. Um, in October, uh, a motion was being put forward to withdraw that clause because that would be the stumbling block and still is. And a letter had been sent at that time explaining fully that there would not be an early closure. Councillor um, Jones put that motion forward and was asked to withdraw it at that time. I wasn't here. I don't know the full reasons. But Councillor Jones was prepared for it to be withdrawn if the full letter from the army, which gave a far better explanations and kept everybody up to date, unfortunately the full letter was not circulated. It was just a pricey. So it didn't really give everybody the safety factor that they would want to see. Um, the then the army said they were expecting uh, a ruling by December or early January, and that's what we've been waiting for. And it came through uh, early February, stating that at last the particular branch of the army had been thing, and they were prepared to say it wouldn't be closing in 2030. It wouldn't be closing the earlier than 2032. That removed all the stops um, on the basis that the um, army had been told that the £500,000 was refenced, would not be used for anything else, would be kept for the army. They started doing the groundwork and they, I think that there has been a progress report sent along and unfortunately, and I take 
full blame for this two days prior to Councillor Sell's motion I had received a letter from the CEO which I asking me to forward it on I was in the middle of dealing with um, deadlines for um, the in touch and for uh, a planning uh, problem that I had in Debden uh, yesterday uh, and didn't resend it straight away. As soon as councillor says I mean I forward it on and I understand the uh, uh, Howard and the chief executive received that. We are not talking about £500,000 going into a small investment. The first phase of this development is £1.2 million. That's just the first phase. Great things have been said about the army using it. The army will be using it less than 10% of the time. 90% of the time this will be used by the district, and not just the district, but national schools. Um, they've, they've already held one what they call Olympics because there is nowhere else with the facility for all the parking. It takes over 5,000 cars for schools to come from all, all areas. This is income generation for the district because pe they come for the weekends, people stay in the hotels and re restaurants are used. There is an income generation there. Basically, they're saying about... Um, what life it's got. It doesn't matter when they move out. You honestly think by the time they finish it's going to be a £12 million project. You think people are going to knock down a £12 million sport thing. The second phase is talking about stands. They're, they're already putting floodlighting in. There will be covered stands. There will be further things uh, that they will be investing in. Um, one of the things is I know that there are some councillors with very personal views that don't agree with us putting money into the army. These same people were, couldn't breakneck speed to sign up with the, uh, the MOD's Community Covenant Grants. And we have to know that in eight, nine, uh, 2018, nearly £2 million has been in, in, uh, given by the LIBOR fund for Essex, Uttlesford alone has received £800,000 from the army. I only wish I had told them not to give the community grant to our area and just keep the money for themselves. We're happy to take the money. We're happy for the guys to lay their lives down for us. And we have also pr um, promised them that we would invest this £500,000 with them. They are going to be invested a lot more of their time, a lot more money. I was very surprised surprise to hear that the Saffron Striders um, didn't think they'd use it because they actually came and had a meeting with the barracks and said they couldn't wait for it to start. So um, there's 38 clubs at present using the barracks and there are as I say, national schools waiting for this to come. They also have Olympic coaches who are giving their time pro bono to train the school children particularly and other sports and they are also the scouts for prospective people for Olympic training. So we could have some actual Olympic 
people running for our district. It is so short-sighted. It is such a great opportunity for £500,000 to go in for something and there'll be £12 million spent. And I just cannot see something that can be up and running in 22 weeks and being utilised by 90% of the public. This is open to them, open during the day, evenings and weekends. There are other sports because these sports people have told me all about, I know all about other projects that are going through where we are looking to partner with other sports things. Great. Let's have as many sporting facilities in the district. Let's have them in Saffron Warden. Let's have them everywhere. But for goodness sake, let us honour what we've stated and put in writing. Please do not let us renege on something so important to this area. Thank you, Councillor Dean. I, I fully respect and understand the, um, the passion and the investment in time and everything else that Councillor Knight has put into this over the years. However, I'm, I must seek some clarification over this, the most recent correspondence, because I have here a copy of the email, and I don't know who else has seen it, from Lieutenant Colonel George Cormack, which was received on Tuesday, I think, by the Chief Executive. And I'm, I'm going to have, it's not very long, so I'm going to have to just go through it and pick up one or two points that I think contradict what Councillor how what Councillor Rolfe said earlier, but I, I see, I'm going to seek advice on that, in that he said there was a new situation. The, the email goes, it now appears unlikely that a decision regarding Carver Barracks and the Defence Estate Optimisation Programme will be forthcoming in the near future, which I interpret to mean they don't know yet what, what they're doing when. Affordability issues, with, affordability issues within the programme also make it unlikely that there will be any significant changes to Carver Barracks before 2032. Now, I think, and I'm stand, I'll stand corrected, I think that may be one year different from the year that we were told originally when, when the grant was originally offered. He then goes on to say, given the above situation, the Army is now content and a particular part of it, I don't know what B and I means, is now content that a joint sports facility may be developed with the local council as long as it places no contingent liability on the MOD should we need to withdraw from the arrangements. Now I think that's what some people call a guarantee Councillor Knight referred to as a clawback and, and that's, as I understand it, the um, issue between ourselves and the MOD because we've said that if it closed earlier then we want some of our money back and, and I think this goes on to say that they won't have it so once we've given it that's the end of it You're not get, you won't get anything back and therefore they seem, not, they seem to still be saying uh, and I need to read on that you can't have this agreement it's a bit like the, dare I say it the um, agreement that they're trying to reach with our neighbouring countries at the moment um, doesn't seem compatible. The Army may 
the, the army may still vacate Carver Barracks in the future or may intensify its use, so don't know, and require to develop an area for, of the sports facility. I presume by that he means for other things, I'm not sure. Therefore, suitable break clauses in any, in any arrangement should be put in place. A subsequent email from George, don't know who George is, indicated a break clause would be set at 2033. That's the one I've just referred to, and that would need to be confirmed in further discussions between people here and people at their organisation. I wanted you to be aware of this update so you can decide how you want to proceed with your motion, as it now looks more likely, but still subject to further due diligence, that the project of a new athletics facility at Culver Barracks could proceed. However, a decision would still need to be made regarding the contingent liability, which somebody may confirm means we want something back if they stop, make, they, they withdraw its availability before the date that we've agreed. Please feel free to contact me if you wish to discuss it. Da, 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 da. So, I mean, I, I'd like to just ask the Chief Executive, if she, who has had far more dealings with this than me, and I only received this email um, that, you know, yesterday evening, I think, or for, no, this morning, um, is, it, is this saying that really nothing much has changed in the last one year or whatever it is where we've been discussing this, other than that there's still dithering around as to how long the facilities are going to be open and that they can't agree to the clawback clause that is, has been put to them. Uh, thank you, Chairman. So uh, I think there is a significant change to when this was last discussed. So um, the position has officially been that the uh, barracks is likely to close uh, by 2031. That's the official uh, defence um, optimisation strategy uh, announcement. And that's been the stumbling block because obviously by 2031 could mean tomorrow in, in those terms. However, so this clarifies that it is uh, unlikely uh, that the closure will be before 2032 and the uh, and therefore, works to develop the sports facility uh, is given permission from the army end. So the point about um, the, uh, uh, they could still vacate Carver Barracks, that is beyond 2032. So it's not saying we're not going to vacate, but it won't be sooner than 2032. Uh, or the alternative beyond 2032 is that they may intensify the use of Carver Barracks, so they may not close it, but actually move other uh, operations there and intensify its use. But, and that might involve um, developing the area where the sports facility is put. So effectively, a sports facility would be assured until 2032, and that's why a break clause would be put at 2032. Now, this has been email correspondence, and you'll appreciate that this has not been subject to the discussions of officers, you know, in the last couple of days, this has just been email exchange. So that's my point about this is still subject to proper due diligence by the council uh, and the defence uh, uh, establishment. Uh, and then the, uh, the further point I think you were asking 
uh, Councillor Dean was um, so the clawback clause as it's referred to or the contingent liability uh, the cabinet resolution in consultation with council was that we, the uh, award of 500,000 would be the subject of an arrangement whereby for any year that it, it closed earlier than 2031 you're quite correct as was the original statement there would be a proportion paid back that is a resolution of cabinet that's still on the books uh, but in light of this assurance Cabinet may wish to revisit it, Cabinet may not, but at the moment that is still a point of difference between the Council and the um, uh, Department, of, uh, the Ministry of Defence. So, at the, so there's a substantial change in terms of the future of Carver Barracks as far as we can see to 2032, but the uh, stumbling block, uh, as it might be called, of the clawback or the, the grant conditions uh, is still there. The, the accountants here will understand, some people who are not accountants won't. If something is ring-fenced, that is to make sure that the money is there for what the purpose intended. By putting that clause in for a period of, let's say, 10 years, because it's easier to use, they cannot put the £500,000 that we give them into the thing immediately and they need that to build the first phase all they would be able to put in is 10% each year as well because they would have to retain enough money in that ring fence fund if they closed earlier and so until that's lifted technically they can't they all they can take is 10% of the money in the first year by re, now that we have the, the and it was only the clawback in case and quite and it was quite a sensible idea in case they closed immediately it's been indicated that once we had it thing they wouldn't be closing there was no need for the clawback and by removing that means that our money would go straight in to build it. They can't build it with a clawback clause which would only allow them 10% a year. Councillor Morris and then Councillor Halgreaves. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Chairman. Um, I remember when the original proposal was put to us a number of years ago, and I thought, new sports facilities, fantastic. We definitely need some of these. Um, but I do fear that perhaps we were asked to make the decision a little prematurely. We made the decision without being certain what we would be getting in exchange for this £500,000 worth of taxpayers' money, which is not an inconsiderable sum, I'm sure you agree. Um, as some of you know, for the past few years I've been working with the chairs of most of the major sports clubs in Saffron Walden, largely on the multi-sports hub concept already mentioned this evening by Councillor Ranger. During this time, the chairs have been repeatedly asking questions of myself and during meetings with Councillor Rolf, Councillor Ranger and the senior executive team. Um, the questions being such as, why this substantial investment in a single sport facility that is in an unsuitable location with no safe pedestrian or cycle access on a site which does have major concerns over public accessibility and one where any access may actually disappear in, as we've learnt, a little over 12 years' time. Contrary to reports that you may have all seen in the local press, the clubs I'm engaged with do not support the project and that does include Saffron Striders. Um, it also includes the rugby club and many others. Um, 
All the Saffron Morden clubs are crying out for long overdue investment. Many of them do not have facilities fit for current needs, let alone future needs in a growing population. This is clearly replicated across the district, as we have already heard. Um, the, U, the new UDC Commission Sports Facility Study and Strategy for Future Sports Provision is due to be published in April. And as such, I would suggest freezing this grant to Carver Barracks until the study has been published and priorities for this in spending have been identified. It may well be that an athletics track at Carver Barracks is identified as a priority, in which case we will then all be confident that our decision has been the correct one. But currently, I'm not quite so confident. Thank you. Councillor Hargreaves. Right. It's very late, late. I will be brief. Um, this email from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Cormack, uh, it says that the Army reserves the right to build on the facility, reserves the right to close the barracks, reserves the right to do whatever it wants. Uh, it says uh, we're developed with the local council. My understanding is we will not own the land, we will not own the facilities. So what this needs, uh, assurances and ifs and buts about we might go, that's not good enough. It has to be a watertight contract. No one trusts a government department. They can do what they want. They're under other pressures. It has to be a watertight contract and it has to deal properly with all possible exit arrangements which means should they want to go, what happens? Do we have the option to buy it for a pound? Do we have the option to buy it at market value? Does that, do, what happens to it? Uh, do we end up having ownership of a national facility that we are paying for? And all these things depend entirely on public subsidy. They're, they're, they're huge loss makers. Not the reason for not having it, but we need to know what happens at the end. And there's always, you always have to have that plan in. And I'm not seeing it here. So, difficult to vote against sports facilities, but we've got to have a proper contract, absolutely watertight, where we know what's going to happen at the end, and you always have to have that in any, any sort of outsourcing type contract. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I feel we've had quite a good debate on this, and I think, yes, I'm going to allow Councillor Fairhurst and Councillor Farthing, but can we please be brief, because the hour is marching on, and we've still got quite a lot to get through. So, Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Madam Chairman. I will try and be brief. I completely get the reason for the amendment. I completely get the reason that it's £500,000 and the sports facility is important and there are better ways of spending the money, perhaps, and people have different views on it and it's a question of resource allocation and so on. But there's something in the back of my mind. It's not because I was in the army or anything like that. I was. But we gave our word. It's as simple as that. We gave our word. We discussed the issue. They relied on our word. End of story. Right, Councillor Farthing. Um, this has already been agreed by the Council. Um, for once in my life, I actually uh, fully uh, agree with yourself, Councillor Fairhurst. Yeah? <laughs> Things are improving. Yeah? Um, uh, it, it will be a centre of excellence uh, for the whole district, and we're going to get it on the cheap. I can't believe that anyone with an iota of common sense cannot see the benefits after listening to Tina's speech. I'll be voting against the motion and I will urge you all to do the same and not to renege on our previous decision along with exactly the same as Councillor Fairhurst said. Thank you. Right, thank you. Uh, Councillor Sell, you do have the right to reply but are you happy to go to the vote? 
Right, so could on the amendment. Yeah, we're voting on the amendment, so could all those in favour of the amendment please show? Six, and all those against? Well, I think that's fairly clear that that has been lost. So can we now move on to the votes for the... Oh, so I do apologise. Councillor Howell, would you like to reply? If you don't mind, I'd Not like to sum up because people made a range of comments. Um, and although we all sounded rather like Dutch uncles giving sage, wise advice and warning of the risk, I think we're all actually completely in agreement on, on this. I, I've always viewed this as being a strategy that, that nobody would want to have to go down. But we have a duty and a responsibility to provide answers to the electorate. Um, I could have presented a budget with all of the documents with the exception of the medium-term financial strategy and just that fudged and missed out. But I don't think we'd be doing our duty to the electorate to say that we have no answer. So we clearly have to find a way. I've said this a number of times. It's a binary choice. We either have to cut services or we have to increase our income. I cannot see another way of squaring this circle. I hear the comments about risk, the challenges that we face, and I think that every time I have stood up and talked about our investment strategy, I've urged caution. I've urged us to think carefully before we make investments, to think through the consequences. I am not asking us to spend a penny of money on behalf of taxpayers at this moment. I'm simply asking that we agree in principle that the investment strategy has to be the solution to a challenge that may or may not occur at a point in the future because the alternative, by logic, dictates that we should be debating service cuts as an alternative. Now, it could be a decision for the, the next council to take, but I think it's a responsibility for all of us, particularly going into an election, to be clear to the electorate about how we choose to address this challenge if and when the challenge arises. And my hope is that you will recognise that an investment strategy is the solution. Hearing the comments that have been made around, the, around this room about the risks and the challenges that we face. I, I, it was my mistake for talking about governance. I should never have mentioned it. I should just have stuck to the principle. We will have the debate about the governance structure in April. But this is about trying to find a solution that we can all agree on. We, we have to have an investment strategy. I understand Councillor Fairhurst's comments that this doesn't look like a document you might have in, private sector, in the private sector. I do need to point out that it's actually a prescribed document from the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. They provide us with these titles. It might not look like what you and I would do in our own lives, but this is what they require. Um, I, we have to have an investment strategy. Councillor Dean has suggested that he wants to take each of the elements, two of the elements in, in, in separately, the medium-term financial strategy and the investment strategy. I, I'm comfortable that we do that, but I will have to bring back an investment strategy in April, and, and it will have to come back with exactly the same content, because I cannot, unless we have the debate about service cuts, 
There is no other solution. So I would urge you to recognise that this is the right answer, that it is in our power as councillors. None of us have to make a decision on any investment until we are comfortable on it. We won't all agree. I recognise that 39 people will never agree. But we are, we are not agreeing to spend anything at this time. So I'd urge you to vote in favour of the budget in its entirety with an investment strategy, sorry, with a governance structure coming back in April on which we can hang the investment strategy. Um, and um, I am looking forward to my retirement. Thank you. <laughs> okay, right, so we're going to go to the vote. We're going to Madam start. Chairman, can we have a, a recorded vote, please? I understand also that Councillor Howell offered a separate vote on the investment strategy and I think a number of around here would like that. Yes, we're going to do that. that. We are Thank going you. to do that. Oh, do we want a recorded vote on everything? Yeah. So what is that? Yeah, do you want the... Uh, so there's a recorded vote. Yeah, there is a, rec a Council Lodge. There, there is a recorded vote for the Council tax. Do you want it recorded for every, every part of it? Yes, please. You are going to take yeah. appendix B and C separately. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take items B and C separately. Can I, can I clarify that? Yeah. No, I, I only want a separate recorded vote on the investment strategy. Right. I don't want to go through every single so item. Right, okay, so we'll start so with the investment strategy. Votes. Yeah, okay. So, um, perhaps, Mr Pugh, you can... So this is on appendix B, the investment strategy. Okay, well, I shall read out the names of councillors and would ask you to indicate whether you're voting for, against, or abstain. And please bear with me if I have people on my list who've uh, not lasted the course. Uh, councillor G. Barker. For. Councillor S. Barker. For. Councillor Chambers. No. Councillor Davy. For. Councillor Davies. For. Councillor Dean. Abstain. Councillor Fairhurst. Against. Councillor Farthing. For. Councillor Felton. Councillor Foley. Against. Councillor J. Freeman. For. Councillor R. Freeman. For. Councillor Gerard. Against. Councillor Gordon. For. Councillor Hargreaves. For. Councillor Hicks. For. Councillor Howell. For. Councillor Jones. For. Councillor Knight. Against. Councillor Knight. Light. Sorry, Knight. Sorry, Knight. Knight. You're confusing me now. Councillor Knight. K before L. Four. Thank you. Councillor Count? Against. Councillor Lees? Four. Councillor Lemon? Four. Councillor Light? Against. Councillor Lachlan? Abstain. Councillor Lodge, sorry. It's getting late. Against. Councillor Morris? Councillor Oliver? Four. Councillor Ranger? Four. Councillor Redfern? Four. Councillor Rolfe? Four. Councillor Riles? 
Four. Councillor Sell. Abstain. Councillor Wells. Four. Okay, well that's uh, clearly carried and we've tot up and I'll pass you the numbers. Right, thank you. Um, Councillor Lodge, are you content for the next item to be taken as a show of hands? That is the medium-term financial strategy. Appendix C. Appendix C. Madam Chairman, I ask for a separate vote on the next item because well, that, you, con you, that contains yes, we're, we're the numbers. That's what we're doing now. Yes, no, that's yes. right. Uh, if, yeah, what it, I'm asking, that's the one that actually contains the £1 million. Pounds. Yes, what I'm asking is do you want to, as a recorded vote, or just a 2173? Yeah. Okay, so recorded, recorded vote again then, please. Okay. Well, the, perhaps you, you can give out the, 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 the scores for the last one. Okay. Uh, right, so the last, the um, investment strategy was 21-4, 7 against, and 3 abstentions. Excuse me. So we're now voting on the me Appendix C, the medium term financial strategy. Councillor Knight. Excuse me. I regret that, what, but, but we, no, protocol is that we have to do it like this, I'm yeah. afraid. If it's a request for a recorded vote, we do have to record everybody. I'll try to go through it quickly. <laughs> Councillor Barker. Four. Councillor S. Barker. Four. Councillor Davey. Four. Councillor D. Abstain. Councillor Davies. Oh, sorry, Councillor Davies. Four. Four. Councillor Fairhurst. Against. Councillor Farthing. Four. Councillor Felton. Go on. Councillor Foley. Against. Councillor J. Freeman. Councillor R. Freeman. Against. Councillor Gerard. Against. Councillor Gordon. Four. Councillor Hargreaves. Four. Councillor Hicks. Four. Councillor Howell. Four. Councillor Jones. Four. Councillor Knight. Four. Councillor Count. Against. Councillor Lees. Against. Councillor Lemon. Four. Councillor Light. Against. Councillor Lodge. Against. Councillor Lachlan. Abstain. Councillor Morris. Against. Councillor Oliver. Four. Councillor Ranger. Four. Councillor Redfern. Four. Councillor Rolfe. Four. Councillor Riles. Four. Councillor Sell. Abstain. Councillor Wells. Four. Okay, well, again, clearly carried. We'll, we'll top up the numbers. And okay, thank you. So we'll take the next items. That's A, D, and D to H on block. And that will do by a show of hands. So that is the Appendix A, the robustness of the report and adequacy of reserves. And then D to H. And then D to H. So... All those in favour? Clarification, Chairman. Does this exclude the council this tax? This excludes the council right. okay. tax. Okay, yes. I haven't checked. So, all those in favour? As I say, that is this is item A and D to H on block. I think that's clearly carried. Um, so now we go on to I, which I believe is the council tax, and that is a recorded vote. And that's so, the supplement that people had on arrival. 
Yeah, and I'm advised you had a supplement on, on arrival, so hopefully you've all looked at that. So again, a recorded vote, please, for the council tax. I'll just, I'll just let you know the, the results of the previous vote. It was 19-4, 9 against and 3 abstentions. So Mr Pugh, if you could indulge us again. Yes, please. Okay, we'll move on to the big event. And uh, Councillor G. Barker. Councillor S. Barker. Four. Councillor Davey. Four. Councillor Davies? Four. Councillor Dean? Four. Councillor Fairhurst? Councillor Fairhurst? Four. Councillor Farley? Four. Councillor Felton? Gone home. Gone home, sorry. <laughs> Councillor Foley? Four. Councillor Freeman? J. J. Freeman? Four. Councillor R. Freeman? Four. Councillor Gerard? Four. Councillor Gordon? Four. Councillor Hargreaves? Four. Hicks? Four. Councillor Howell? Four. Councillor Jones? Four. Councillor Knight? I wish I'd gone home. <laughs> <laughs> Count? Four. Councillor Lees? Four. Councillor Lemon? Four. Councillor Light? Abstain. Councillor Lodge? Four. Councillor Loughlin? Still here, four. Councillor Morris? Four. Councillor Oliver? Four. Councillor Ranger? Four. Councillor Redfern? Four. Councillor Rolfe? Four. Councillor Riles? Four. Councillor Sell? Four. Councillor Wells? Four. I think that's carried. Yeah. Yep. Right, so the very last one is um, Appendix J, the Equalities Impact Assessment, and we think we can do that with a show of hands. So all those in favour, and I think that is unanimous. So whilst Mr Pugh, sorry, Mr Pugh just tops up those uh, votes. Well, it's, uh, it's everyone for, apart from one abstention. Oh, right, well, there we are. Nemcom. Right, so moving swiftly on to the corporate plan, could I ask... No, no, no. Oh, I... Sorry, Madam Chairman, we have six items and I will deal next with agenda item 14. I'll keep it as brief as possible. It's business rates relief policy for 2019-20, set out on pages 193 to 218. Um, we don't set business rates, but we do collect them, so we get blamed for what happens. You'll be well aware that we had a revaluation exercise taking place recently. Um, in, uh, the consequence of that was 1,370 businesses across Uttlesford's now receive 100% relief. Uh, we have in, in place a programme which provides varying degrees of reduction in business rates to 294 businesses. In total, 49%, nearly half of our businesses, either pay no business rates or pay reduced business rates. As a result of the budget in October 2018, there's a proposal for a rate relief programme for retail businesses with a rateable value less than £51,000 for two years, 2019-20, 20 and 21. 
Um, the eligibility criteria are set out. There will be 268 businesses that will benefit from this, and it will be applied in accordance with the guidance published by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. Um, I don't need to talk to you about the High Street. We've had opportunities to talk on numerous occasions about on this. I hope you will accept and agree that this is a good proposal and one which will make a contribution to many of our local businesses. Thank you. Does that find a seconder? Councillor Redfern, would anybody like to speak to this? Right, well, we'll go straight to the vote. So could I ask all those in favour to please show? Again, I think that is unanimous. <coughs> so moving on again to Councillor Howell, pay um, policy. Item 15, pay policy. This is an annual report and a resolution which has to come to Council. Um, the policy complies with all relevant government directives and guidances. There's a, um, in accordance with our requirements to obviously be a transparent organisation applying good governance, we have this policy in place. gives extensive information on our pay policy and the framework on which, we, uh, which is adopted by the Council, which we apply when we do job evaluations, setting pay, additional payments, approach to retirement, pensions pay grades, etc., etc. I need to draw your attention to the separate disclosure on gender pay gap issues. On average, mean and median, the council pays its female employees slightly more than its male, male employees, and the council has no significant gender pay gap issues. I therefore move the recommendation is that the council approves the pay policy as set out in Appendix A. Thank you. The recommendation on page 247 is that the draft corporate plan be recommended to Council for approval. Uh, you'll have seen the plan. It's very consistent with uh, our previous plan. Uh, the key headings are communities, heritage, business growth and a, a financially sound and effective Council. What I would draw to your attention is over the page the um, three additional bullet points at, at the bottom, some of which we've discussed tonight, to manage and minimise the environmental impact of our activities. These are, these are underpinning the, the priorities that I've just referred to, are three important considerations for the way in which the Council delivers its services. As I said, to manage and minimise the environmental impact of our activities, maximise the use of digital and smart technology to enhance well-being, to demonstrate our commitment to diversity and inclusion. All three topics we have discussed many a time, and we want those, those to be underpinning the corporate objectives. Thank you. Right, does that find a seconder? Councillor Barker. Does anybody wish to speak to that? <laughs> In that case, could I ask you, all those in favour, to show? Again, I think that is unanimous. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Thaxted Neighbourhood Plan, Councillor Barton. Let's try to keep it unanimous, shall we, Chairman? Um, Chairman, the Thaxted Neighbourhood Plan came to Cabinet a little while back with some recommendations for some amendments made by inspectors. Cabinet endorsed it to go out to consultation. Um, Thaxted should be very pleased and proud that they had a 35% turnout um, in that 896 people voted, of which 861 people endorsed the neighbourhood plan. A um, lot of people put a lot of time, very passionate about their community, into this, but the recommendation, Chairman, is that the plan is now made. 
very, very briefly, just to say. Sorry, if I can second that. Yeah, I'll second the one. And, and just to say thank you uh, to everybody involved, some of, some of whom have stayed here tonight to, to, <laughs> to wait on that. So I'm going to recommend them for sainthood. <laughs> because it's a, but, 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 but seriously, there's been the, uh, the years of work that's, that's gone into this, and uh, I, I, I can't uh, commend them enough. Thank you very much. Stay very briefly, uh, I, I, I congratulate Thaxted on a neighbourhood plan. We're absolutely committed to every uh, appropriate area having one, but I also congratulate you for staying. I know you slipped out for a pint, but you came back. So, well done. Well done twice. <laughs> Madam Chairman, very quickly, also, as part of the Newport Neighbourhood Plan Steering Group, I know the work that goes into this. Well done. Great piece of work. Okay, thank you. Well, if we're content to go to the vote, can we go to the vote? All those in favour? Again, I think that's unanimous. Um, now, Councillor Light, um, this is entirely at your discretion. In, as the lateness of the hour, um, people are obviously leaving or going home or tired. Would you be content to move this to the next, top of the next agenda for the next meeting, or do you want to stay and debate now? Because it's quite a sensitive subject. You're quite happy. Well, you're quite happy. Yes, I'm quite happy for that to be taken to the next okay, uh, full well, council. We'll Thank that. you. And likewise, with the committee timetable, I think we can Thank you. move that forward to April. So. Um, thank you, everybody, and I'll conclude the meeting. Chairman, 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 did we not have the committee timetable to finalise? Uh, yes, we'll move that forward to April. That's going forward as well. Yes,